Welcome to episode 4 of Blowing Cartridges, a video game podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my co-host and good friend, Zach Clark. So Zach, do you have something witty to say to our audience tonight? That's like, that. you stole my line because I was just going to say the words something witty, and now I feel like a fool. <laughs> so thank you for that. Whoa, there was another voice, Brendan. Did you hear that? Really? There's there's someone else here. Pika. Pikachu? Did you Pikachu? Pika? Pika. Unfortunately it's not Pikachu, but today is a very special episode because this is the first episode that we have a special guest to join Zach and I in uh, discussing games and gaming culture. We have the great and powerful Ooh. Drew Agnew from the award winning Nintendo podcast, The House of Mario. It's one of the top Australian video game podcasts. They were a top video game podcast in Denmark at one point, and I think some other countries as well. So, <laughs> Drew, thanks for joining us tonight. You're a great expert on Nintendo and uh, video games in general, and I think we're very lucky to have you here. So, tell us a bit about yourself, and also, I hear that you've brought a cartridge for us to give a good blow and discuss, so maybe take it from there as well. Yeah, I've got a real dusty cartridge, but uh, just to start off with, guys, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honour to be one of the first guests here on the show, and uh, the first three episodes have been fantastic, really been enjoying them, uh, yeah, just been really good. No worries, your check is coming in the mail for saying that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I expect it to be very, very big. <laughs> Novelly sized. <laughs> but the the cartridge I've got to, to blow on today, guys, is uh, console fanboys. So I was sort of thinking about this when I was thinking about a topic to bring to the show. And I was thinking about this because doing the House of Mario, being a podcast all about Nintendo, uh, I think it's sometimes easy for people maybe to think that uh, we're console fanboys or you know stuff of that nature. And also being a Nintendo fan, I think um, especially around being our age, um, we sort of ran into, into this a lot because Nintendo wasn't super popular when we were sort of... I guess in primary school, that type of era, with the PlayStation 2 being so big. And uh, seeing people on the internet sort of talk about it and um, all of that, it's one of those things that just looks real silly, but I thought it might make a bit of an interesting topic to sort of get down and dirty and discuss it. Now, I think that's a really interesting topic, Drew, and I think it brings up a lot of different questions and ideas about fanboyism because... It's not a phenomenon that is exclusive to video games. I guess we have, there's always fan communities for movies, mm. for books. I know when I was living in Edinburgh, you'd have all these people coming to town like, oh, J.K. Rowling once sat in this cafe and wrote a page of The Philosopher's Stone. I have to go there. Right. Or, oh, I'm going to go on a tour where, tour through this graveyard where there's a stone to Tom Riddle and maybe this was the inspiration for Voldemort and there's all things like that. So I guess to bring it back into video games, I guess what, what is our conception of what is a fanboy? What what makes someone a fanboy in a video game context? Is it someone that's just passionate about a particular genre or company or game series or do you think there's something more to it? I think it's someone who's passionate about a certain uh, company or brand but then takes it too far. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree for sure. Like, <laughs> to me, it has a bit of a, a toxicity element to it, the word fanboy, mm. you know, kind of almost using it as a general neutral term rather than, you know, specifically men or, or boys. But um, compared to just a fan, I always said if you're a fan, you're a bit more 
level-headed, but the fanboys are the ones that are, you know, really screaming and <laughs> saying some pretty awful stuff online. I remember when I was real young, someone had a Nintendo, uh, I think it was like a jacket, and on the back it said Nintendo fanboy. And I don't know if like the word sort of lost meaning over the years that it was originally just someone who's real passionate and is a real fan of something. So I'm just going to like look it up on Google, like the actual definition for fanboy. Because, yeah, it is sort of like interesting to think about because like in the context we're thinking about now, when we hear fanboy, we just go, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh no, you're a fanboy. It's like there's a difference between being a big fan of something than just like defending every even bad action maybe a company's doing. So if I type in fanboy here, what, is Go- what does Google think of fanboy? When we think of fanboy, I guess we always think about Twitter, don't we? At the moment, yeah. I mean, it would have been, again, online forums back mm. in the day yeah. or even like the schoolyard, going back to what uh, Drew was talking about before when, you know, we were younger. But uh, these days, Twitter's massive or Reddit, I guess, things like that. Yeah. So what um what Google says, because, you know, Google knows everything, uh, Google is a male fan, especially one who's obsessive about comics, music, movies or science fiction. And uh, the verb is um, a male fan behave in an obsessive or overexcited way. So, yeah, it does come down to just being real obsessive and overexcited, I guess to the point where it's just like, I love uh, Nintendo, so everything Xbox does is crap (laughs) (laughs) or whatever, uh, whatever the specific context is. So do you guys have any sort of experiences with um, fanboys or even being a fanboy, say, when you were younger? I would like to think I was never as, like, you know, Xbox or PlayStation sucks or anything like that, but I definitely think I would have potentially fit into the fanboy category as a kid for Nintendo. Like, you know, I have a very, very vivid memory about, like, writing into um, Hyper Magazine, sort of, like, with this list of, like, defense questions of the DS over the PSP before <laughs> before they came out. Um, and that is, like, a very... Um, I think, well, you know, a fanboy thing to do. So I think you could have definitely applied that label to me, you know, back in the day in like, you know, when I was mm. 10, 11 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Tim? I think in, in a way I was very much a Fire Emblem fanboy. I remember when the first Fire Emblem game came out on GBA and uh, a guy who worked at the video game shop I used to go to, Games Wizards, he recommended it to me and he was like, oh, you should play this game. It just came out. It's good. And I played it and I became very obsessed with it. And I remember going to school after finishing it and sort of forcing it onto friends saying, you must play this game. Fire Emblem's the best thing ever. Play the game. And I just remember becoming this sort of irrational fan of this series that not many people had encountered or really heard of aside from Roy and Marth in um, Smash Brothers. So I guess that that's one aspect mm. of fanboyism that I think might potentially be positive in that Sometimes it's not purely toxic, I, don't, I think. I think there can be a sort of enthusiastic positivity to it. Maybe overly positive, but do you guys think there's a positive role for fanboyism or do you think it's all Twitter warriors, console wars sort of battles? I think I think there is a positive side to it. Maybe even just through someone trying to really express why they love a particular thing. And maybe if they can sort of uh, discuss it in a, in a manner that isn't too overpowering or too, you know, this is better than what you like type of way. It might actually help people discover and understand why they like that particular thing, company, product, game, music, whatever it might be. So I think that might be the sort of 
positive side to it. But with Fire Emblem, did you feel like, you know, you love Fire Emblem. You're saying people should play Fire Emblem. Did you feel like that if someone says, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I might enjoy that. I enjoy Fire Emblem tactics, well, or not Fire Emblem, uh, Final Fantasy tactics, for example. And would you reply to them and say, no, no, that's crap. Oh, I prefer Final Fantasy, for example. Honestly, when, when during the period when I was growing up, I probably would have. I think at the time I'd never heard of Final <laughs> Fantasy tactics. I was primarily a Nintendo gamer, so I didn't really... I think I had heard of yeah. Fi- um, Final Fantasy, but wasn't really intimately knowledgeable of it. But I think to get to your point, yes, I probably would have been very defensive. And I, <laughs> Like, I remember you two probably had a similar... You might have had a similar experience. I remember when Pokemon was big, I was always on the train of Pokemon's better than Digimon. Or I, I remember watching Digimon anime, and I never played any games, but I had the sort of portable Digimon yep. thing and watch the anime and but I remember always saying oh Pokemon's much better why would you bother with Digimon get get on Pokemon I, I was I was the same way um I probably said like Digimon's better than Pokemon than when like the tides changed a little bit I probably said the complete opposite it's probably like Pokemon's better than Digimon because I do remember a certain period there when the uh, Tamagotchis were real popular I, I was like more into Digimon but thinking back to it, I think that only lasted like probably eight months then it like it all shifted back to Pokemon when the games came out, but I, I remember it, even with Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, I had a Pokemon Sapphire. Then two other friends had Pokemon Ruby, and even to the point we were like debating which one was better out of those two games. And we all know that like different versions of Pokemon, they're very much the same, except for um, in that there was different Pokemon and a different evil team. That was they're the only differences. But we're still there having debates about which, which one's the better one. You know, Sableye is better than Morwile or Morwile is better than Sableye. Team Aqua is better than Team Magma because Team Magma's whole idea doesn't make any sense. It's like, you know, we, we, we were kids then, so we we're allowed to have those sort of um, just silly debates about literally nothing. I always remember my friends that had Sapphire would always just they'd win because they'd say, well, Kyogre just yeah. is super effective against Groudon. I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But Red's cooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everyone with Ruby like, you know what, Groudon's just cool. It's like, well, you got us there too. You can't argue with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day too. I probably, I probably would go with Pokemon Ruby now because Red sort of shifted to my favorite color, but... That's what it comes down to. It was just like a debate about what your favorite color is. And at the end of the day, it's very subjective. It doesn't really matter. But uh, at school, I remember just, I was like one of the very few Nintendo fans and everyone had a PlayStation 2 and I enjoyed PlayStation. I played it at all my friends' place and everything. But a lot of people would tell me that, you know, Nintendo's crap, Nintendo's for kids, even though I was a kid at the time. So whatever. <laughs> I don't know why that was a, a talking point. I think uh, I think I just got it barreled into me that much that what I like wasn't good <laughs> or wasn't as good or it definitely wasn't as popular. So it kind of just really jaded me to kind of have a dislike against PlayStation for a long time, which, you know, ultimately was pretty silly because PlayStation, you know, they're a great brand with um, great IP and great games and everything. But for, for a long time, probably up until 2012 when I was, uh, you know, more, more of a teenager and I guess grew into sort, sort of stuff like Uncharted and stuff that was on PlayStation 3, you know, I spent a lot of my time sort of like not liking PlayStation. And I guess that's where the fanboyism sort of came in for me because I sort of got it drilled into me that just not to like PlayStation because of all of the, I guess, you know, little silly debates going on at school. So I don't know if you guys had any experiences like that where 
because obviously you guys are big Nintendo fans as well. So I don't know if you had uh, that feeling towards maybe some some kids at your school that kept on telling you that the games you like weren't any good or? I definitely, I think we've probably all had a very similar experience, I guess. <laughs> like I was, like in primary school, it was a bit different. I'm like a couple years older than you guys. So 64 and PlayStation were pretty much neck and neck. But then uh, after that GameCube, PS2, Xbox era, like, me and my my handful of GameCube friends were the vast minority <laughs> compared to a sea of PlayStation uh, mm. and as a few Xbox players as well. And you'd always get like the, you know, oh, you're playing Mario, we're playing like Grand Theft Auto or Halo, and you're like, you like grow up, and you're like, oh, I don't. I mean, I, I've come to appreciate Halo and Grand Theft Auto once I got to play them, but yeah, um, yeah. I'm like, but but Mario Sunshine is good, or like Wind Waker is good. Like, I don't. What are you on about? And so you sort of get really. I think that's almost what fosters your love in a sense because you sort of feel more compelled to sort of enjoy what you think is good because others are telling you you shouldn't enjoy it. Or at least that's how I think it played out for me. Like I don't want to let others dictate what I do and don't like. So I kind of just doubled down on <laughs> on liking um, these quote unquote kids games, which as you said, we were kids. So it's probably would have, it was appropriate, but kids want to be adults. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess for me it was a bit different. I think I've mentioned on a previous episode, I went to quite a small primary school. So at that time, my close friends, well, they had GameCubes too. So we always either, they went, they came over to my place, I went to their place and we just played GameCube. And I, I also did have a PS2, didn't really play any games on it, mainly just GTA Vice City, which is one of my favourite games. So I'll always lean towards Nintendo, and but I never sort of dismissed PS2 or Sony as, oh, Sony is bad. But I do remember in high school when people were talking about Uncharted and Call of Duty and uh, what have you and just thinking, oh, oh, you guys are just sort of dude bro gamers. What what are you guys doing? (laughs) Uh, Because at that point, I think I mainly played PC gaming. Actually, I played a lot of World of Warcraft and StarCraft 2 and that sort of stuff. So I guess I became a sort of PC master race, quote unquote. (laughs) fanboy at that point one question i have for you drew is that i on one on your episode that i listened to today of uh house of mario encore you talked about how you didn't have a gamecube and your friends had ps2s how how do you find the console fanboyism in that period where people had this console that you didn't have but you still found yourself sort of defending nintendo when you didn't have a gamecube yeah well i i was a my uh main console then was like my Game Boy advance and um, I wanted to play the GameCube for the exclusives and ultimately uh, I think um, what really affected me was a fanboy who actually worked in retail. My mum went to go and uh, ask about the GameCube she didn't know about video games and the guy said that, you know, you don't want a Nintendo console because it doesn't have as many games or it isn't as good or whatever he said. So ultimately mum said, you know, the product isn't very good. So uh, do you want a PlayStation? And I didn't really see the need in getting a PS2 because all my friends had one and I went to my friend's place pretty much every weekend. So I didn't really feel the need to to get one. So yeah, I guess I was sort of affected by a, a console fanboy in that way. But uh, I, sort of defa- I, sort of, I sort of defending him more from the point of, I guess, the games I had, which were the um, uh, Game Boy Advance games and even like Mario 64 and Mario Kart and Smash Bros and uh, I wasn't super familiar with the games on the GameCube then because I just didn't have access to them. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I was still just defending them from their games, not necessarily 
just like console to console. I wasn't there being like, oh, well, the GameCube is a, it's a nice little form factor. It has a handle. What does your PlayStation have a, you know, it doesn't have a handle. <laughs> it may be able to play DVDs, but you can't carry it around, you know. <laughs> and like I, I have um one, one of my best mates, um, he's still one of my best mates to this day. And we've, we've been friends all day through uh, primary school, high school, and we still catch up whenever we can now. And he was a super huge PlayStation fan. And whenever I think of like a PlayStation fanboy, he's the first person I think of. And throughout, we always had like these sort of like actually heated passive aggressive arguments every now and again they sort of come up we'll we'll uh, we'll you know say what we're, we're going to say like <laughs> thinking back to it, it's like oh my god what are you guys doing it's a bit a bit dumb but like he would say like oh you know jack and daxter and all this is better than mario and it just like it's like even thinking about it now it kind of makes me scratch my head being like i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that but when you get old you're like you know what jack and daxter and these franchises are great I, I still wouldn't put him above Mario, <laughs> yeah. I don't think. But, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, back, I guess back to your question. I didn't really defend the console necessarily, but it was like the IP and the games. Which is interesting because, like, none of us, I would say, were old enough to experience the, uh, like, Mario-Sonic rivalry because, uh, I mean, I didn't even know Saturn was a thing when I was growing up or Dreamcast until well down the track. Mm. Um, but then, like, the... The generation where fanboyism probably came aware to us that you didn't have like the same the other two competitors didn't have the same like mascotty kind of characters that Nintendo does. Like Ratchet and Clank would be the closest. I mean Sony sold Crash, so they obviously didn't give that much of a hoot about, you know, their what was their biggest mascot. Maybe Master Chief counts, but it's like a it's a different type of mascot to again like a Mario or a or a Crash or whatever, so yeah. It's interesting to see like the, the the way that Sony and Microsoft handle their IP is very different to Nintendo. Like it doesn't necessarily last forever. They're willing to let series just kind of go away and and die even if they sell gangbusters. Yeah, especially with like the PS2. When you look back at that like especially compared to now like PlayStation didn't have the sort of uh, the brands and the the characters uh, to sort of back up their console. Their console was sold primarily just for the sheer amount of great games on it, but they weren't necessarily exclusive either. And uh, obviously it was a DVD player, so that was um, a great technical advantage to them back then. And thinking about it now, it would be kind of silly to like, if you're looking for something that does more than just games, it's kind of hard to justify a GameCube. That's ultimately what I think uh, maybe hurt them because if you're looking for a DVD player, it's like, well, a GameCube doesn't do that, so... That's why I had a PS2 growing up. My dad bought it as a mm. DVD player with the plus of being able to play games. So I would have never had one otherwise if it wasn't for that DVD player. The one thing I found weird as a kid, whenever like I went to friends' houses were who were the lucky ones to have, you know, two systems, like a PS2 and a GameCube, we never played PS2. Like it, maybe just because I only had two controllers, but it was just, I couldn't even think of a, a non-fighting game that was a good multiplayer game on ps2 whereas gamecube you know there was there was tons kind of like the 64 i guess we played a like a lot of uh pass the controller type things like i remember like simpsons hit and run and um the grand theft auto games uh there was like a digimon fighting game was it digimon rumble arena we really love that it's kind of like smash but uh you've got to like hit them multiple times you digivolve and they sort of have a life bar so it's not really smash them off but it sort of played like smash bros it was like ratchet and clank uh, uh star wars battlefront that was a 
I didn't really have that much fun because my friend was that good at it and I just sort of just come over and just get smashed by him. So that wasn't that fun for me. But it was a cool game. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't have like a whole lot of experience with um sitting down and playing the PlayStation 2 just by myself. It was more just uh enjoying it with with friends. So what do you two think fuels this sort of console war idea? Because I guess I don't think any of us really experienced it as a sort of very I guess, vitriolic, toxic sort of phenomenon. But I think we both, we, we all three of us have had situations where we definitely fell into the Sony's better, or Nintendo's better than Sony, or why would you bother with an Xbox? That's lame. Or, or only it's a Halo box. What, where do you guys think this rhetoric comes from? And especially, it, it's not sort of, it's not restricted to children. You can go on forums today, go on IGN, GameSpot, Reset Error, and you'll find the same people sort of, reliving console wars of their childhoods what what do you think is attractive to this idea of one company is better than another i think it does come down to the point where if say you're a playstation fan and you you absolutely love their studios and what they're doing and you're paying attention to just everything that's coming out you sort of put that in your identity a little bit whether you sort of think that you're doing it or not so when someone says hey I don't. I actually think uh, Naughty Dog doesn't do as good a games as everyone says, and you've got that sort of tied into your idea of your personality. Maybe you take that as an attack on yourself. I know, like as a kid, that's probably what I might have done when someone says, "You know, Pokemon's childish for kids," and I'm such a big Pokemon fan. And you know, when I was a kid, you know, you consider yourself pretty knowledgeable about it when you're playing all the time and you're on cerebi.net and you know when the next Pokemon game's coming out and you know like you can sing to the poker rap and all that. So when someone says that, you're like, huh, it makes you feel bad. And when you feel bad, you you feel like retaliating. And when you retaliate, you're probably going to retaliate with something that they like. <laughs> and I think it's just like a, a bit of a venomous cycle. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's a massive part. I'd also add as a kid is the element of um, – I think for most people, you only get one console probably, right? Like whether it's just, you know, financial or just because it's the rule of the household, you can only have one. Um, so so you have a lot of vested interest as a child that you made the right call yeah. um, in what you picked or told, you know, put on your Christmas list to Santa um, that one year. And uh, in terms of how that plays out, you know, to your point, Tam, as an adult, I think it's just sort of almost still justifying that decision six-year-old you made back then like sort of to say yeah i, I had the the correct childhood because i had this system that's the that's the you know best timeline kind of thing so that that's i think a massive part of it all the uh, philip cdi fans out there is like nah oh, i chose the right one right zelda <laughs> games on that console <laughs> we got three zelda games super nintendo yeah. got one suck it <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, sort of back to your point about you being a, a PC gamer, uh, Tam, when you were back in high school. And you like you see a lot of people now like um, with like the whole PC master race thing and that uh, like, you know, PC gaming, I think if if you get like the correct parts and spend the money, it is better. Just technically, that's just how it is. Why, why do you think um, a lot of PC gamers feel so inclined to tell everyone just how much better it is all the time? I think part of it is they want to justify their investments because thing, yeah. 
If they spend a bit, because I guess I can go to EB Games today and buy a PS4 and what, it'll cost me about $400. Whereas if I wanted to buy a PC gaming rig tomorrow with a monitor, all the gear, everything I need for it, I'm probably going to spend about, realistically, about at least $3,000, maybe four, if I really want to go all out. Could even go higher than that. So you're already talking about a magnitude of sort of five times the price that I've just laid down for this rig. So I think there's a fact of it I want to justify, oh, look how good this is. Look at how good the image is. Look at my 4K monitor. <laughs> look how like crisp it looks. Look at this refresh rate. And the, the only way you can tell the difference is if I like do like these really intricate snapshots and like side by sides and all this stuff. But you can see the difference. You can see the pixel differences. So I think there's part of that they want to justify. But I think it also is, is a, another part that a lot of PC fans and a lot of people that are really into PCs, it's sort of like audio files. People that care about, oh, I want the best sound out of my sound system. People want the best. They want to play the games they want to play in the best quality and really PC is the only way to do it. So I think they, they have a lot of pride in it and they because they think this is the optimal experience, they very much want to tell other people, oh, no, 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 to really experience this game, you got to do it this way. And I think there's really that undercurrent going on. Yeah, I feel like um, as I've gotten older, I've um, sort of started to care about that stuff more. Like it's nice to get like your 120 frames and as high a resolution as possible and all that. But uh, sort of the thing that held me back was a lot of the games I enjoy. And I think some of the games are the, the best in the industry are games made by the hardware makers to really push their hardware, um, especially Nintendo and PlayStation. So... It's just like a lot of those games, obviously, except for maybe some recent ones like Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, like they're just not on PC. So as as well as you can get those games running, it sort of hasn't got my interest because there's no major publisher sort of pushing it. That's sort of my two cents anyway. One, one thing with the publisher topic, though, and in a very similar vein to console, I guess, fanboys, is this current, I'd say... Uh, war uh, or or fanboy fight between the the valve fans or the steam fans versus epic you know game store and that's mm. that fascinates me because like there's no financial investment <laughs> in setting up a steam account or a or an epic account but people are just you know livid at like epic doing things like paying for exclusive games or early access to games giving out free games to entice people over which is all stuff that you know, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo have done for years and we're just used to as console gamers. Um, but PC, you know, fans are getting, you know, some, not all, but are getting super upset over having to potentially download another client to play a game, you know, a few months before it comes out on Steam or, or vice versa, which I just, I can't even figure it out myself other than if you hate, hate Epic because it's linked to Tencent or something like that. I mean, I, I sort of do uh, understand because, like, if you're on PC, you got pretty much all your games in one library, and you might be into getting Steam Steam achievements, and you're into like different forums and all of that that are included with Steam. But if something like a big game you're looking forward to, you know, you've played um, Borderlands, you've played Borderlands Two, but then Borderlands Three is coming out, and it's not available on the uh, same platform that you've you know you've hundred percent of all the achievements, and you've got your community there, and then you just you don't have access to it on that platform. I can understand why they get angry, but to the extent uh, that they're getting angry, it's kind of like, mm, probably not. But I think that's just the, the gaming community in whole, just uh, overreactions <laughs> to a lot of things. 
Yes, because I think what really upsets people about Epic Game Store is that they pay for exclusives. That they, I guess, the as the lingo goes, they offer money hats to developers to put their games exclusively on Epic Game Store for a period of time. And people are upset about that because, as you said, Drew, they want that single library that has all their games. When I think there is the argument to be made that well, yeah. competition is a good thing. It's good that we have. Sony versus Microsoft versus Nintendo. It's good that Google tries things with Stadia and Apple tries things with Apple Arcade because ultimately we're going to get better features on all the consoles because oh PlayStation does PlayStation Plus or now now Microsoft does Game Pass and there's all these sort of innovations that they play off each other. Mm, so absolutely. I think it is a bit narrow minded, especially in the PC space, because I could just open up Steam and open up Epic Game Store at the same time. I can have both open and I'm not really adversely affected at all. So it, I don't really understand it. And I have to say, I, for one, love Epic Game Store because I give you a free game every week. So that's something I think everyone can get around. That's the only reason I open up an <laughs> Epic Game Store account is the free games. Even just from like a presentation standpoint, I think like Steam, like to me, it kind of looks dated. Whereas Epic Game Store, you open it, it's like really nice and vibrant, and the presentation. Because I'm, I'm a sucker for like a nice laid out presentation, um, whether it's an interface or whatever it is. But I think Ep- Epic Game Store gets it really well done. And like you said about competition, I think I was saying for a long time, Steam needs competition. Uh, like Windows is an open platform, and for them just to have sort of free reign on the games market, just it seems silly. Like, it, like if people want a Steam to stick around and be the top dog, then just speak with your wallet and keep buying games on Steam. It's it's that easy. You don't there's no point going on Twitter and saying, like, I don't know, Tim Sweeney's a a peeny. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> not to go off completely off topic, but it just I just came up the thought just hit me. What do you guys think about this feeling that oh I have to play a game when it releases? Because you see that a lot with this epic game sort of exclusivity of oh I'm not going to play this game at all now because I can't play it when it comes out first, which I've never really understood that logic. I guess as someone who's been a Nintendo gamer for the last, well, consistently for the last 10 years now, <laughs> arguably longer, I just wait for ports. Like, even though I know the port's going to be inferior for Switch games, for example, I'll just wait to get things like I have Civilization Six on Switch. I'm probably going to get Outer Worlds eventually on Switch, even though that port has issues. I just wait, but some people seem to think that I have to play a game when it comes out or I'm not going to play it at all. Yeah, I mean, for like for something like Borderlands 3, that was exclusive. I don't know if it's still exclusive. I think it actually is. That's like a, multi, a multiplayer game and it's got different seasons, different content coming out that you've got to, uh, you know, be invested in and leveling up and all that. So for a game like that, it affects it a fair bit, I think. But if it's something, what was it? Uh, I forgot what it's called. What's that game from Remedy? It's just escaped my mind for a second. Control. Yeah, yeah, Control. That was exclusive and like that wouldn't uh, matter if you played that a bit later. Um, in fact, I think it's actually a better thing because it's getting a, a bit of an enhancement patch uh, later this year. So it's actually going to be better if you wait for maybe single player games. But I can see for multiplayer games why people want to get in there straight away, especially um, something from a series that it's been seven years or so since the previous game. I think the only caveat to that would be social media, I think has made in some regards, even certain single player games, a weird new type of 
social or multiplayer experience. Like, like I don't know, I can imagine, I, I think this was the case, but like when Breath of the Wild came out, right? Like Twitter, you'd just see people with screenshots of, you know, I've just discovered this dragon or whatever, what the hell is this? Um, and that's an experience of itself, which you don't get to have to the same extent if you have to wait till a year or whatever to play it on your in this case, digital platform, I suppose, of choice. A bit different to like a, you know, when Microsoft pay for like Tomb Raider for a year in advance. Um, there's there's money there that's got to change hands. But um, I think that that's probably it. It's really just one to be in the conversation when it's the most active, with the, whether it's just your friends or it's online with, with strangers. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel like I, I fall for that a lot of the time too, and which usually results in buying games that I don't end up playing much or even if at all uh, i know i'm pretty guilty of that just because oh it's the big thing on twitter and uh, i kind of actually don't have time for it or i'm actually not that keen on it or it causes your backlog to grow because you're like well i want to play this now because everyone's talking about it and then the next game comes out like well stop that and now i'll play this because everyone's talking about it and just keeps going and going and going <laughs> it's pretty much what happened to me with division two i i bought it Everyone's talking about it. I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't mind a game where I can log on and have a chat with some friends and shoot and level up. But then sort of realize that I don't have a squad and I'm not, I don't have enough time to like really put into it just to grind. I'm like, well, I'm not getting <laughs> back to this. So like I didn't really get my, I don't know, $70 worth or whatever I bought that game for. Uh, and I've done that a few times. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't learn apparently. Again, you're in good company, I'm sure, of... of- Two people that have spent full price on yeah. games that have not been opened. <laughs> oh, it's hard. <laughs> I was just going to say, bringing it back to the the fanboy discussion, like, what do you recall some of the like the arguments? Like the, I guess when I say arguments, I mean the points people bring up when they're always fighting over what's better or worse. Because uh, one that I always found funny and. Um, was obviously sales numbers, right? Which is a kid you shouldn't care about, oh, but when you yes. get into that space, you do start caring yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> and that was, as again, as a Nintendo fan, it was very interesting to go from the GameCube to the Wii because all of a sudden <laughs> you were light years <laughs> ahead of the competition. Um, even though in when you look at it in hindsight, you're like, well, it's a very different system to the PS3 and the Xbox 360. So, but yeah, at the time, it felt very vindicating. I was like, "Oh yes, we've we got there. We got on top. You know, we're back back in the baby." You know. Yeah, I know. For me, like the Wii had like a lot of great points you could sort of drive home as well. It's like you know the Wii, you know Nintendo is so innovative. You can like throw all these points out there. You can basically just vomit up their marketing speak, pretty much. It's, oh yeah, it's so innovative, new controls, you know, whatever. And uh, you know, three years in or so, that kind of lost its luster and kind of became a negative as regards to having play with motion controls and all of that. But yeah, uh, the, the Wii was the, the first console uh, that I got and like I really, really loved it. I thought it was uh, great for like the first bit of its life cycle anyway. And it did have like a lot of great games too that could easily uh, back it up. And that was sort of in the, the mainstream media a bit more than say Wind Waker or some of these other great games on GameCube. So it was, it was good too. And even like um, Wii Sports, that was fun just to be like, no one could hate against Wii Sports, really. Like, if you're a PlayStation fan, like, you know, Wii Sports sucks, and I hate it. And it's like, well, it was actually like a lot of fun. It was kind of hard for people to uh, say that, at least in my eyes anyway. Like, everyone's sort of played it, was laughing and having fun. Yeah, they might say it, but then at Christmas when everyone's playing it, they're not going to turn down a go at Wii Bowling. Like, everyone, everyone has a good time with a smile on their face. 
maybe there's like a PlayStation fan out there who's like, you know, this game sucks. I'm playing a resistance. (laughs) More about sports champions on the PlayStation Move. You know, that's the real (laughs) motion control game you got to play. That's the real family game. I'm going to sit down and play with Grandma Resistance 3 on the PS3 using uh, the PlayStation Move. Let's go, guys. I got some PlayStation Move ones for my, uh, or reluctantly for my VR headset. And I actually got a copy of Resistance 3, like still in the wrapper because I got it for 10 bucks. Don't judge me. It's a collection piece, goddammit. Um, I should go back and play it with Move. I'm just really curious to uh, <laughs> even understand what that would be like. Oh, you, you better get one of those like plastic, sh- unnecessary shells that are in the shape of like a, a rifle. Get one of those and put your Move ones in it and go for it. Actually, that's another thing, bringing up PlayStation Move. That's another thing that sort of brought out the fanboy a bit, you know, because by this time when, uh, you know, Xbox was bringing out Connect and uh, PlayStation with the Move, it was sort of at the stage where it was like, all right, it's dying down. It's also the point where I'm sort of thinking about getting an Xbox as well. So uh, the fanboy isn't quite as uh, strong in me. But when uh, PlayStation showed off the PlayStation Move and, like, it's pretty much copying the Wii, uh, it sort of like reignited something. It's like, oh, come on, here we go. You sort of got your hands together. And uh, it sort of it sort of blew my mind that the Move had like the navigation controller along with it, which is pretty much the Wiimote's uh, nunchuck. But it really did blow my mind how that thing didn't have any motion controls in it at all. I don't think I even realized that was the case. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because it used the uh, the camera for the, the PS3 to like pick up the, the lights on the top. But the navigation control didn't have any. Oh, yeah. and I, I went oh. to um Harvey Norman to to play uh, what was it called? It's called Move Sports. It was their this was their Wii Sports clone anyway, and they had archery, and they they were using two uh, PlayStation Move controllers and not like the navigation controller. I was just like, why aren't you using the navigation controllers? It doesn't have motion controls. Like, why even make this? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was just a little tangent. Just a little tangent I thought of when I was thinking about the PlayStation Move because. Yeah, back when the Wii was out, that sort of like reignited the similarities of, of the consoles since they drift, drifted so far apart. It was kind of hard to look at the PlayStation 3 and go, oh, that has beautiful games, but also this uh, input's pretty fun on this. But when the PlayStation sort of got those inputs, it's like that's when the sort of defenses come up again. All right, one sort of not to change the topics, but one one thing you brought up before was when you um, were sort of realizing, oh, it's time to get an Xbox or whatever it was. I'd be curious to hear what both of your first, ignoring PC, because that's kind of a special case, but your first non-Nintendo mm. system was and what made you make the plunge into, you know, the, the enemy territory, so to speak. <laughs> um, I, I wanted a, an Xbox because I wanted access to, like, a lot of the third-party games that went on Nintendo um, it was getting to the point where just like Wii, it was getting the, it was very much the Nintendo cycle where Wii's getting, you know, pretty great games, but it wasn't getting like most of the games people are talking about. And there's a lot of um, games that I really wanted to play. Just like, I think Call of Duty was like one of the main ones that I wanted to play. And like looking looking back on it now, like I don't really enjoy Call of Duty that much. Um, I've played it, I played enough of them, but back then I really wanted to play it because it was like the in thing and playing online all that and like uh, my good friend Bryce, uh, he, he was like a, I guess you could have called him a bit of an Xbox fanboy as well because he sort of shifted there a few years before me. So he sort of influenced me to get an Xbox. Uh, but to be honest, when I got my Xbox, I sort of, 
like two years in, I'm like, you know what? It's kind of, it kind of bored me a little bit just because a lot of like the third party games, they turned out that I didn't really have that passion for them necessarily. Uh, so then I actually, I ended up selling it for a, a PlayStation 3 and, you know, I've been a big PlayStation fan ever since that. But yeah, just back to your question, mainly mainly because it, it just had games that I couldn't access on Nintendo. Interesting. What about you, Tam? What was your first Microsoft or Sony product? I guess the PS2, was it? Well, technically the PS2, since that was uh, well, purely a decision from Dad who <laughs> wanted to... Actually, it was the car we had at the time was a Chrysler Voyager seven-seater car, and uh, you could put TV screens in the back of the seats, which he did, Ooh. and you could hook it up to a, um, a DVD player so it can play movies in your car trips, because... Growing up, we had a lot of family in Sydney. That's where I was born and we originally lived. So every year, at least once a year, we drive well, country Victoria to Sydney. It's a sort of 10, 11-hour drive. So I think an effort to shut us kids up, me and my brother, older brother and sister, he's like, okay, I'll put a PS2, I'll put a DVD player in the or PS2 so it can play DVDs, you can play games and sort of you can not bother us when we're driving <laughs> 10 hours. So it wasn't really my decision, I guess, but... I sort of, and I didn't really dive into the PS2 as much as you might think. I guess I played a lot of GTA Vice City with my brother. We re- we're we both rugby league fans, so we got the two rugby league games, rugby league and rugby league two, and we played that a lot. And that wasn't on GameCube, so I guess that was an appeal to play it on PS2. And then there's some other games like Buzz and those sort of party games on PS2 that we tried, but didn't really have that same appeal as Nintendo. So I guess... Ultimately, it was really, I played PlayStation games purely for the games, that, like like Zach mentioned, for games that weren't on, and like you mentioned, Drew, for games that weren't on Nintendo consoles that you still wanted to play. Yeah. How about yourself, yeah. um, Zach? What was your first non-Nintendo console? Uh, well, mine, my, like Drew, was the 360. Um, after, a, uh, just, there were two key things. One, as you said, playing the third-party stuff, because we and uh, 360 and PS3, there was just such a disparity compared to, you know, like PS2, GameCube, Xbox, there were enough, like, common multi-platform games, despite the sales, and they were all pretty similar, whereas um, Wii was just, because of the underpower and the motion controls, there just wasn't getting as many of them, so that was one thing, but in true uh, Nintendo uh, gamer fashion, the real thing that motivated me was uh, that CG teaser for a Banjo-Kazooie game oh, on Xbox. No. <laughs> um, being ba- Banjo-Kazooie was my first video game um, and Diddy Kong Racing, so I was a big Rare fan. That said, it wasn't all bad because I think for that year, for that Christmas, I got a bundle with like Viva Pinata and Forza Motorsports 2. And uh, Viva Pinata, if you haven't played it, fantastic game, probably one of Rare's best. Um, so that <laughs> that almost justified it. And I think maybe two or three years later, I got a PSP again in sort of not Nintendo fashion, but it was not to play like, you know, Ratchet and Clank or kind of, but it was mostly to play stuff like Loco Roco and Patapon, these really, you know, cute, colorful games that you could almost see on the Nintendo platform. That kind of stuff was what really enticed me. And then PlayStation 3, that's when I was working part time. So I had money um, of my own and it was a little big planet that really pushed me to give that a crack. And then, Again, I think probably now between the three, Sony's second to Nintendo, just because they, I, you know, love their first party lineup because it's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, 
when you were saying the PSP, I thought you were about to say like I bought it to emulate Nintendo <laughs> games. I thought that's what you were about to say. Like, that would have well, been well. In hindsight, um, <laughs> you know that's that's been a very useful system for things like that. But uh, yeah, it was not 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 my thought process at the time. Like, oh, there's this cute game with like these red, round yellow things that roll around. That looks really fun. And, like I think I think with me, just with the Xbox at the time when I had it, like I was always like on. If there was like a, a debate at school or a bit of a bit of an argument or whatever, I would always be on Xbox's side. And unlike Nintendo, I didn't really. It's going back to a point we made earlier, but I didn't really have a reason to be on Xbox's side. It is because I had one, and because maybe I wanted to justify that purchase, like you said. Um, but like ultimately, the reason why I bought the Xbox was basically because I was I was persuaded by Bryce because he was an Xbox fan, and also probably the bigger one that the Xbox 360 was. $300 and the PS3 was $600. <laughs> so as a kid, it's pretty obvious which one I'm going to go and get if I just want to play Call of Duty. Like it's it's a pretty easy uh, thing to work out. Yeah, ultimately, I um, did enjoy uh, the PlayStation better. And when I got, it's when I got my uh, PlayStation Vita where I sort of like that PlayStation, I guess, bias or wall sort of like went right down. I started to enjoy PlayStation games and play some of the franchises that, you know, people were saying really good and finally get to play them for myself and enjoy them and even find some new classics that I really enjoyed that even other people did enjoy. Um, Gravity Rush was one of my favorite games on PlayStation Vita and that's one of the games that really made me fall in love and have a look at some other PlayStation studios and uh, stuff like The Last of Us on PlayStation 3 where it's uh, it's absolutely a masterpiece and not only that is it's nothing absolutely nothing like I'll get from Nintendo. Like Nintendo does not make games like that. And in the same breath, uh, Sony does not make games like Nintendo makes them. So they're like a yin and yang and they sort of fit in really well with one another. So, and as you get older, you sort of like, you realize that, um, that these companies do, do completely different things and you can like them for what they are. You can hate them for what they are. And even now with um, Xbox, with Xbox Series X, what they're doing with Games Pass and sort of how that's influencing uh, what studios they buy and what studios uh, make over there. I think they're doing a completely different thing too. So there's something for everyone. And, you know, I'm sure like at, at schools, the debates still rage on that, you know, Nintendo Switch, it's better than PS4 or PS4 is better than Switch because, you know, uh, Switch can't do 4K and Mario's still for kids and, uh, Nathan Drake, he's got a great haircut and Mario wears a hat, so he must he must be bold. I'm sure there's a lot of debates like that still going on. But yeah, it's funny it's funny looking at where we are now where I don't know uh, if you guys own multiple consoles or all the consoles or whatever, but everyone has every single one has its own use. So it's good to, I guess, get to that point where it's, you're not wasting your time on silly arguments. And obviously with like the, the console launches coming out, uh, at the end of this year, there's, there's still like a lot of those debates going on, like looking at PS5, you know, there's Ratchet and Clank, the Spider-Man, and with Halo being delayed, there's debates about like what one's going to have the better game library. Uh, the Xbox Series X, it's got a more powerful chip on it, more te- more teraflops. So I think they, the, the sort of wars will always continue, but I don't think they're at the extent they were, but I don't know, I might be, I'm off of Reddit, so I'm not necessarily in the trenches, so... <laughs> I think also just being older, we we probably surround ourselves with people who do not care anymore. <laughs> Whereas as kids or when we were younger, it was more just everything we heard was that kind of, you know, 
this versus that kind of argument. Um, but yeah. speaking of the, the upcoming generation, it is a weird one when you look, because there are, there are people, like, when you go on Twitter and stuff, you do see people get overly defensive over Xbox or PlayStation leading up to this. But it's weird because they're both on such unique strategies for, for the first time in a while. Like, Xbox basically folds into being a subset of PCs now, right, with everything first party coming to PCs. Um, and obviously really focusing Game Pass, um, uh, what's the streaming service they're doing? Xcloud, yeah, I think X-Cloud. it is. Um, yeah, X-Cloud, things like yeah. that. You know, play, play it. As long as you're playing our games, we don't care where you're playing. Um, even the fact they're releasing games on Switch and, and Cuphead just came out on PlayStation as well, which is an interesting one. Um, whereas Sony is the same sort of tried and true. You know, they've if anything they've doubled down with the rebranding of of Sony, you know, worldwide studios to have that that logo of, you know, you come here for Uncharted, you come here for Last of Us, you know, God of War, uh, Gran Turismo, etc. They're they're sticking down that that first party exclusive lineup um strategy that they've done for years and in some ways almost seem back to PS three levels or pre PS three levels of, of arrogance in, in some regards as well, which is um sort of fascinating to see how it's all um, all three companies are probably at their most different that they've ever been, I would say. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think we might be seeing a sort of great divergence in that, well, Nintendo's did it nearly 10 years ago, or over 10 years ago, 15 years ago with the Wii, where they just went off on their own direction. Oh, we're just going to do our own thing over in that corner now. You two can fight it out. Now it seems that Microsoft has also been like, well, we're not going to compete directly at Sony anymore. We're just going to also do our own different sort of thing we're going to offer our own service we'll do that in this corner over here so sony sort of left in the middle being like oh i guess we'll just do what we've always done let's let's keep on going fellas <laughs> i think i do agree with drew's point i think the arguments are always going to continue amongst children on the schoolyards and also amongst well our quote-unquote fanboys on twitter about which is better sony nintendo microsoft but i think it's going to be a lot less vitriolic because They are so different now. They all do their different things. And, well, especially people our age and older can afford to have, or nominally afford to have multiple consoles. So if they want that Microsoft experience and the Nintendo one, they can get both. But if they have no interest in the Microsoft experience, they can just get a PlayStation, get a Nintendo, maybe get a PC, and they're done. So it's sort of, we've reached a period where there's just lots of options, and I guess choice is ultimately the winner. And, like, just thinking about how, just on the opposite side of things, so not necessarily how it affects the opposing side, but um, when, you, when you're when you super passionate about a certain, uh, I guess, company or brand, like, it, it also doesn't make super sense that, like, you might be, like, trying to defend them as well. At the end of the day, they are, like, a multi-million dollar company. So <laughs> the idea of you being trying to defend them, I think it's something I've been thinking about recently too because obviously like I run my own podcast which is all about Nintendo. We cover the news and talk about the people that make them and also the community of players that also play them. I think it's important not to get lost and just talk about what they want us to talk about or just uh, vomit up their marketing speak or whatever. I think it is important to like if we're, if we're covering that, it's important to be like, all right, this what they're doing, this is bad, this is good. But at the end of the day, if they're if they're selling a, a lot of Switch units, which is good for like the games, the 
that are coming out. But it doesn't necessarily affect me. I don't I don't particularly care if they sell, you know, 60 million, 80 million, 20 million. Like it's it shouldn't be a thing that everyday people are really like. But yeah, I think like, don't get me wrong, I find it interesting when sales figures and that come out. But when people are like, yes, they've sold 80 million, good on them and PlayStation sucks or Xbox suck it or whatever. It's like, mm, don't about that. But what do you guys think about that? Uh, no, I will defend anything Nintendo does. Uh, if you say a bad word about Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival, I will come after <laughs> you. Um, no, uh, just just kidding. Um, I think there's, yeah, I agree. Comparing them isn't necessarily worthwhile. Like, it's it's there's no real value to being like, oh, you know, Xbox sold 50 million and PlayStation 4 sold 80 million. Yeah, there's a clear difference, but why, why fight about it? The only cave, uh, difference I would say, or that disagree with is uh, sales do matter a little bit only in the sense that like again that can kind of predict the direction a company heads so like you know we saw nintendo cave and do mobile games for a while because investors were saying that's where the money is you need to go after it they said fine we'll give it a shot uh, and now they're pivoting away from that and i'd say that's a big and also big in part to when they started it was the wii u era where traditional video game console was doing pretty bad for them the switch has proven they can still succeed in that market and so uh they're able to say hey we might do less mobile games they're not doing as well as we wanted to uh and we've got this really successful home console business so if you like that like if you're like us who i I don't know about you i much prefer playing my mario kart with a controller than tapping the screen that's 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 where i care about sales is making sure the games i like are selling well so that they get sequels or at least companies say that's the kind of game we want to keep making for a period of time um because they're still going to chase the dollar at the end of the day um not just do it out of passion yeah absolutely i don't want to come across like i don't care about them or whatever because like i do i talk about them on on our podcast whenever they get their quarterly financials i just think it's uh i don't know i just think that if people I know like a lot of people might like think of like their their companies like sports teams when if they win a game it's like yeah good on them type of thing. But yeah, I, f- I think it's uh maybe weird to put like all of your all of your eggs into that company and yeah, I agree. Like do you un- enjoy Uncharted 4 more cuz it sold more than Halo 5? You don't. You just enjoy it cuz you like Uncharted 4. That's 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 all that should really matter. Yeah, I'm sort of struggling to put it into words, but I don't, yeah, I don't want to come across like I don't necessarily care about like the Switch selling well because I do. I'm like, fantastic. It's a great console. They've rebounded and it's selling really well. But yeah, ultimately, I'm not going to say things or do things that I disagree with when it comes to um, talking about them. Well, I guess I've always found sales quite interesting from a business perspective. Or how did how's the Switch selling this year? compared to last year and oh, Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons, how did that sell compared to New Leaf? But I guess that's sort of from a academic business perspective. Uh, I do, I, I probably agree with both of you. I think sales are important because we ultimately want games that we enjoy to sell well and we don't want our favourite games to bomb. But on the other hand, we're not going to pitch our tent and say, oh, Mario Kart 8 has sold. 10 million copies on the Switch. It's the best game ever. You must play it because it sold all these copies. Tell all your friends to do it. Tell your family, oh, 
you need to buy a Switch. It's the best-selling consumer electronic <laughs> of 2020. Go buy one. I don't think any of us are like that of our sales are king just because something sells well, it's good. We're more coming from the perspective of we're interested in sales because, well, ultimately that determines the direction of Nintendo and determines, well, will our franchises that we like to play turn up again or are we going to be your sort of Nintendo fanboy that 20 years later is still asking for a new F-Zero or 2D Metroid or what have you? R.I.P. Chibi Robo. Didn't have a chance. Ziplash. <laughs> yeah, you got Ziplash. You got you got the Amiibo and everything. They went all out of that game. I just remember seeing them in re- like JV Hi-Fi for ten bucks in piles. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> uh huh. That's when Robo I bought Robo it. <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse too because I got um Animal Crossing uh, Amiibo Festival for like eight bucks with like the two Amiibo pack. And I took it home and uh, I took the disc out of the box and I opened it up and it doesn't have the disc in it. <laughs> so I've got I've got I've got the case, but I don't have I can't don't have access to that wonderful game. Oh, and I didn't even care enough to go back and get the disc. So that kind of <laughs> I kind of just bought it for the amiibo. At least you got the exclusive Digby amiibo that was not going to be available in the second print of that game that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Was that uh, Digby? Uh, was was that exclusive? Was it? Uh, I think it had like free Digby for limited time only, uh, and then all the the packs have Digby because there was no second run of, of the game or second print. Ah, uh, right. Yep. Well, that was a bargain then. Yeah, win. Sell it. Sell it on eBay in the future. Talking about Amiibo Festival, have you guys ever found yourselves? I guess, wanting a Nintendo game to be good just because it's a Nintendo game in a series you like and you'll go out and buy it even though you might have heard some re- read some previews, read some reviews of Broke Embargo or you buy the game after Embargo lifts and you know, oh, this game isn't going to be good, it's got terrible reviews, but it's Nintendo, it's an Animal Crossing game, it's a Fox um, Star Fox game, it's Devil's Third that's published by Nintendo, it must be good. Do you guys ever find yourselves the, um, just buying it and hoping it's going to be good because I love Nintendo and anything they produce is going to be gold? I can't say I've ever been in that position. If there's a game that uh, doesn't look that good, I probably just wouldn't end up buying it. Yeah, I can't say that just because it's made by them means I'll I'll buy it. Like Star Fox Zero, the reviews came out. Um, I could sort of tell just from the footage they've shown. I'm like, yeah, probably not especially in the same month like Overwatch and Uncharted 4 come out and Doom, the uh, original, uh, not the original Doom, but the Doom 2016. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I probably don't need Star Fox amongst these other games. So it doesn't really apply to me. I think like the the only time where reviews were wrong for me was um, Kid Icarus Uprising on 3DS. The reviews came out for that and it was getting like sevens and you know, pretty just, you know, they were, they were good scores, but it was... It wasn't as high as you might expect from a game from or directed by uh, Sakurai. Um, but when I played it, I enjoyed the game just so much. It's one of my favorite games of all time even. So I guess that might be the closest thing, but yeah, probably that is still different to what you're asking. But yeah, I don't really buy games just out of blind fanboyism. Yeah, I, I'm sort of the same. Like I, I think my current collector mentality is sort of skewed that a bit, where I'll, I'll buy things for the collection mm. aspect. But um, definitely as a kid, I did not only put in like there were Nintendo games I hard passed on, um, for sure. 
Probably the closest exception, though, as a kid, and even now, is a lot of the Pokemon spin-offs. Not all of them. Like, I don't like Mystery Dungeon, so I didn't buy a lot of those. I know some people oh. are going to crucify me for that. Um, sorry. But <laughs> on the flip side, some of the ones that are even ironically the worst reviewed, um, I really enjoyed. Like, on the Wii, I really loved the two Poker Park games, like, a ton. Uh, and they were pretty mediocre reviews. Um, but you can sort of tell. Like, I watched the gameplay. I'm like, I can see why people don't like this, but I can see why I'm going to really like this. So I still picked them up and um, had a great time with them. Yeah, the Poker Park games, they were, they were too expensive for me and when I was a kid. Like, you know, if if they're just fine, it's still 80 bucks for that. It's a bit too much. Whereas, like, stuff on handhelds, I was a bit more experimental with. Um, and sometimes it paid off, sometimes it didn't just because it was, like, you know, a $50 game instead of a probably, like, a $90 game even back then. So, yeah, I missed out on some of those on console because I was looking at the price a lot more, uh, just trying to make my money last me when I was how old would I been? Twelve or twelve to fifteen or something. Yeah, when when that you get maybe only a handful of games a year or only have the money for, you know, two or three. If that that two or three count a lot, so you think about it. Some of the games that uh stand out the most is some of the games you like you put like all of your pocket money on and then it turns out to be really good. So then it sort of enhances your experiences with them whereas uh, it might do the complete opposite if you're spending 80 bucks on a game. It's like, well, this wasn't that good. Now I'm stuck with it. Oh, dear. So what about you, Tam? Have you, anything you sort of bought on faith in the brand and then convinced yourself you loved it or, or actually did love it? Oh, definitely. And it actually goes back to the conversation we were having before we recorded about uh, Drew talking about his Skyfall 007 merch he has. I believe he has a big banner or post <laughs> <laughs> um, it was very much after GoldenEye on 64, which was a game my brother had, and we played a lot of it, local multiplayer, played the single player, sort of did pass the controller, absolutely loved that game. So after that, I pretty much, I ended up getting nearly every single Bond game that released between that and I think probably Quantum of Solace, because oh, wow. Quantum of Solace wasn't on Nintendo, or there's a Wii port, but it wasn't really on Nintendo consoles, so I didn't get that. But during the GameCube age, I got like every Bond game, I got the terrible GoldenEye sort of GoldenEye Rogue Agent, which was EA trying to cash in on the GoldenEye brand by saying, oh, GoldenEye is the most popular FPS of all time. We'll, we'll make one of our own. And it was an absolutely appalling game. Not really any redeeming qualities whatsoever, but I bought it when it came <laughs> out. I remember forcing my friends when they came over to be like, it has four-player multiplayer split-screen, guys. We're, we're totally going to play this. Let's go. Let's do this. And it wasn't really fun. I don't think any of us really enjoyed it particularly, but I was like, I bought this game. It's Bond. I love James Bond. Love the movies. The games have to be good. I'm going to buy every single one of these. So I guess that <laughs> was really... It's got the name, God damn it. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's got to be good. It has to be good. And I guess I eventually grew out of it when well, Bond games slowly dried up. And I guess what kept me in it and kept me playing those games is a lot of them were genuinely decent first-person shooters, but there was definitely your bombs as well. So I guess that is my main example of being a one-eyed fanboy of a franchise. Yeah, and I think a lot of people fell into that too just because everyone has such a, such a love for the original GoldenEye. So it, it only sort of makes sense if you're not paying attention to who's publishing and who's developing it that every Bond game should be should be good ever since but obviously uh yeah rare and nintendo weren't responsible for it anymore so 
you had EA uh, embrace it. <laughs> well, exactly. I remember being very confused as a kid when well played GoldenEye, then got World is Not Enough on 64 and thinking, why is this very? Why is this so different to GoldenEye? Why isn't this anywhere near as good as GoldenEye? What what happened here? And it wasn't. It was only until sort of years later I realized, oh, GoldenEye was developed by Rare. They made good games. World is Not Enough was mm. directed by Eurocom. They make all right games. That's what happened. <laughs> it's weird because a bit of a tangent, but Rare was probably the company that made me realize what a developer or a publisher is. Because when they got sold to Microsoft, then you. Like, I actually, like, you know, I read that in a magazine or something. I had to think about what does that mean? Like, what do they own? What does Nintendo own? Is, like, you know, Donkey Kong Rare? Like, that kind of stuff. I'm like, wait, did Rare make Zelda? Oh, good. No, they didn't make Zelda. That's good. They, they're staying with <laughs> Nintendo. That kind of stuff. Like, um, that definitely was a transition, I suppose, to when you think about that kind of thing. But again, not not the topic we're talking about today, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I remember reading magazines with my brother at the time. I would have been about six or seven, and he, he being like, "Oh, Microsoft the both rare. Like this is huge." And I, I was sort of trying to process of what did this mean, and uh, what's happening to Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong, and it very much sort of solidified, I guess, that console worries and of oh, they've left Nintendo. They must not be that great. Oh, yeah, they made some good games, but I'm sure Nintendo will be fine. So I guess it. It's like there's a group of people, primarily Nintendo fans these days, that will sort of argue, oh, we loved Rare during the 64 days, but they couldn't have survived without Nintendo. They went downhill after Microsoft and they make bad games now, which isn't really true. They make sort of, some games are good, some games have not been (laughs) received well, but a lot of people have got a lot of fun out of recent Rare games. Sea Sea of Thieves shows that, I think. Yeah, they're definitely on a renaissance with um, yeah, Sea of Thieves. And what's the the game that's uh, they're in development at the moment? It looks really good. And it's uh, Ever mind, but something Ever Wild, Ever Wild, Ever Wild. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it so looks that good. looks that looks fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to uh, to that game coming out. It's probably my most anticipated game coming from um, Xbox Studios, to be honest. So I hope it gets a you know they get sort of back to form and start making awesome games again. No, definitely agree. There's, there's def- it's interesting because, like, coming back to the fanboyism argument, it's weird how you can have a bit of a sense of attachment for a brand over a person, if that makes sense, because there are all these, like, companies or whatever where you can look at them and be like, oh, all the original creators have left, but I would still be keen for that company to, like, bring back this franchise. Like, a big one was, like, um, uh, you know, when Mega Man, like, you know, Keiji and Afune left Capcom, he went and did his own Mega Man revival, which did not go very well, um, and the fans all backed him. Yeah. Um, but I, then people were still super hyped for Mega Man 11 when that was announced. And even though I hear it was just an, an okay Mega Man, um, just the fact it was coming back, despite, again, no original people that, well, maybe some, but very few of the same names from the first nine or ten games were on it. Um, we care almost more about the the brand, I guess, than the actual gameplay or the, the you know core game but well, I guess what I'm saying is a rose by any other name isn't necessarily a sweet we do kind of care about that brand and that being on the box not just a spiritual successor like a, a ukulele or a to an extent like a bloodstain is probably the one exception I said it's done really well in in sort of stealing some thunder away from the now seemingly dead Castlevania series 
Yeah, it is. It is interesting how sort of these uh, brands we're attached to also help us attach to uh, certain figures at the company. Like you know, we we all have a uh, real fond uh, memories of Iwata and you know, it, like Reggie and there's the people at Nintendo uh, for an example, but. I guess, like, if you really think about it, we don't know them as a person. We don't know, like, their family, what their hobbies outside of gaming and all that are. It's just sort of um, attached to this idea of them being involved with uh, making some of the, the big video games we like. And uh, um, I think it was Kojima during an interview, I think he actually brought that up, that it isn't necessarily that people... I think, um, I think Greg Miller asked a question, something along the lines of, uh, you know you've got a lot of fans, a lot of people that love you. And he sort of retaliated to that and said, you know what, they're, they're, they're fans of what I make, but not necessarily of, of myself. And it made me think about sort of how I view maybe other creators or other people in the industry. And it, it does sort of tie back to maybe a love of a, a brand or so sort of uh, circulates to maybe yeah, the, the love of that person. But on on that note as well, like, uh, even watching like other people's or other co- companies' press conferences at E3, it might also work in the opposite way too. Where if there's a strong personality um, at a certain con- uh, conference, it also might help you sort of relate to that brand as well. So it might not all just be like being a fanboy or something. What's his name? Who was at a, a Microsoft conference last year? What's his name? Phil celebrity? Spencer. No, celebrity. No, Keanu. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, like for like everyone loves him from all all the roles and that he's played, and it's sort of uh, that was one of the big things at that press conference that helped it kick off and circulate around social media and everything. So yeah, maybe there's a maybe there's a bit of a, a point to that. But what um Kojima sort of said during that interview sort of made me just really stood out to me and made me sort of think about it all. I guess the similarities to be drawn between game designers and developers and, I guess, movie directors and authors where you get those similar sort of, I guess, cults of personality, for lack of a better term, where you get dedicated fans of a particular director or author that think, oh, every movie directed by David Lynch is a masterpiece. I'm going to go day one into this movie cinema and watch this. Or, oh, I really love Tom Clancy novels. I'm going to buy every single one of them when he was still alive and writing books you you get this sort of fanboyism of oh you associate a particular franchise a particular style of design to a particular creator and you think i'm a big fan of what this creator does therefore i'm gonna like everything they do i'm sort of gonna be this person's champion and make sure they keep on making what i want for as long as they can so i think you really very much see that when it comes to games and i think to Zach's point, I think it does apply to particular franchises. People have a fanboyism and nostalgia for your Mega Mans and Castlevanias and the like. But I think you get a... Maybe we can call it a subsection of fanboys that are also not just attached to the franchise, but they're so dedicated that they are attached to particular figures as well. You're seeing that at the moment. There's a Kickstarter up. Um, It's live at the moment for the spiritual successor to the Suikoden series, which is by that director, and that's a mm. that hasn't had an entry in the series for sort of, uh, like mid to late two thousands probably, and they've already hit sort of three million dollars on Kickstarter. There's sort of a big fan swelling amongst that, and that's purely because of 
this director is attached to it and people like this director and writer and think he's a genius when it comes to JRPG. So I think there's that aspect to it as well. It is a unique developer that gets that though like it's not every developer which i don't know what the equation is to be the ones that whose name to get out there because like and it's sort of the polar opposite like obviously there was a month or two ago now quite a, a few people let go from a lot of video game companies due to um you know allegations of abuse and that kind of stuff which is all you know quite serious and sad but a lot of the names i saw i'm like couldn't have even told you that you were working on like assassin's creed and that you've been the director of Assassin's Creed for X amount of years. I have no idea who you are. I'm glad you're gone because you sound like a bad person. But, um, <laughs> not, you know, not not everyone sort of manages to break out and become a, a Miyamoto or a, a Kojima. Um, and if anything, it feels like indies have a better shot at becoming known by name. Like people like a Toby Fox or a... Um, uh Jonathan Blow and that kind of stuff because they make their games almost by themselves seem to do a much better job at branding themselves intentionally or unintentionally um and and getting that cult following of people around them which is interesting to see and so, sort of to your point Tam you see a lot of people take advantage on the Kickstarter of like ah oh, from the developers of X and you might just have been like a handful of people that and, you know, in Suikoden's case, it is the director, but sometimes it's just like a couple of people who happen to be, you know, uh, pretty, pretty small parts of the development team, but they've broken out, started their studio and are using their, their credentials to try and get people to back their project, which may be, I won't say disingenuous, but um, maybe overstating their involvement in those other projects. Yeah, it's sort of like Inafune in with uh, the game Recall, wasn't it? Like... He didn't really have that much involvement with it, but it was all over the marketing as well. And it sort of turned out not to be, uh, not like a super great game as well. To jump off your recall point, I think that sort of adds another dimension to the discussion we're having at the moment, because that was developed by Armature Studios, who are all ex-Metroid Prime uh, Retro Studios people. So you had the Inafune factor of, oh, the creative Mega Man's attached to this game, but you also have the attachment of, oh, key people on the Metroid Prime series, you would have never heard of their names, but they were sort of the director, lead art designer, programmer, etc. They make in this game as well. So you had a lot of hype generated for ReCore just because of the people attached, even though it was a brand new IP by a de- untested developer and a well, Microsoft publishing it. Yeah, and like it, companies know that that works, that, you know, name names matter. So that's just all over the branding when like a brand new IP is coming out. People are like, you know what, I don't know what this is, but they know who, you know, they know what Metroid Prime is and they know that that was pretty good. So the creators of that and the creators of Mega Man, that should be should be pretty good. But um, as, as we obviously know, that, that's not always the case. I guess that, that brings up a topic I've been thinking about and what we've touched on it just about five minutes ago. I think... Do you guys think that Kickstarter wouldn't have existed in the video game space without fanboys? Because if you think about all the big Kickstarters, <laughs> the ga- big kicks- gaming Kickstarters that get your two, three, four, five million dollars, or how many million Star Citizen got in the end, I think they're still getting money when that game isn't even finished. But I think you can't really detach fanboys from these, can you? Because these are a group of sort of dedicated fans of a particular genre or series or often 
a particular developer or director and they are willing to put large sums of money where their mouth is and, and say, well, I loved Monkey Island back in the day. Oh, Ron Gilbert has a Kickstarter. I'm going to give it, I'm going to donate sort of $2,000 so I get a new Ron Gilbert game. And you have people sort of really dedicated fans willing to back these projects that wouldn't have been created otherwise. But I guess on the other hand, they live in this sort of weird bubble that for a lot of these projects, the expectation really very much destroys them. Like for every Bloodstained, you have a mighty number nine that's sort of decried as a terrible (laughs) Mega Man-like game. Uh, So I guess it's a really interesting space, isn't it? Yeah, I guess the more passionate you are, the more you want it, the more money you're going to spend. So if uh, these projects can sort of tap into those emotions, they're ones that are going to get funded the most and get the most headlines and all of that. Because yeah, if there's a like I'm a I'm a big fan of what's the series that won't come back? Probably Gravity Rush because I was really I was really surprised when Gravity Rush got Gravity Rush two. So the idea of a Gravity Rush three is pretty much out the out the window. But um, just pretend it wasn't funded by Sony, which is killing it right now. You know I'll. If they said, oh, we're funding another Gravity Rush game, um, you know, pay us uh, 80 bucks and you'll get the game when it comes out. But, oh, yeah, here we go. Like, uh, I'll be all about it. Um, similar to what a lot of people are like with uh, KJ Inafuna and um, all of that. So I think that's why um, why Kickstarter is sort of so popular for, for funding games. But for all, for all the games that we see get funded for millions of dollars, there's so many ones that just slip under the radar and just never get a look at as well. And that's because they don't have, I guess, that fanboyism. They are just maybe indie developers trying to get a new idea off the off the ground, but no one really notices it. Yeah, I think I think specifically video game Kickstarter needs the fans um, of those either people or franchises, whatever it is, because without it, it doesn't really really work. Um, because you, you're effectively, you know, you know, put put my finance hat on for a second. It's it's the funding Kickstarters is just dumb from that perspective. I'm not. I've funded plenty of Kickstarters, so please don't take that as offence. <laughs> other other people, um, but like you're putting your money in in what is a risky investment. You either get some many cases no product or a a, a subpar product. Um, and with video games, it's some of the most risky because you're often putting that money in at what is the concept art kind of stage of, of development, which is years before it comes to fruition um, compared to something like board games, which I'm a big fan of as well. And they, um, you know, you can see the board game get played and understand how it works and be like, yep, yeah, that's going to be a good game. And it'll get printed and shipped within three months um, of, of the, you know, campaign. Um, mm. You're really putting your faith a hundred percent in the people running the Kickstarter to produce what they say they're going to produce. Um, and more often than not, we're seeing, if if not, you know, seeing things delayed, turn out less, you know, good than we would have liked. Um, and sadly, in a few cases, just not ever deliver at all <laughs> um, uh, or part deliver like, you know, the 3DS and Vita versions of Mega Man, not Mega Man, Mighty Number no. 9 just never, <laughs> never came to Rest be. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Without those those fans, Kickstarter from a video game perspective, never would have taken off, I don't think. Um, and, you know, it's given us a few gems, um, so we can be thankful for it, but but it's absolutely, you know, I, I'd be surprised if it, we see continuous, you know, Kickstarters get the same level as money as some of those early day ones. Like um, probably the biggest one I remember was the Tim Schafer 
one at the start before mine. That was the big one that made me aware yeah. of it. Um, adventure game or whatever. Beyond Broken Age. Oh, Broken, Broken Age, that's it. And then there was like Mighty Number no. 9 and Ukulele all sort of came after that. Yeah, U- Ukulele was the first one that I dropped some money on and by the time it came out, I'm like, oh, I'll sort of lost interest a bit by the time it came out yeah uh, i was the same i i was very excited and then it was very just okay <laughs> and i didn't even finish it um i like the second one a lot better actually that mm. they didn't kickstart that was a that was a pretty good game but um the first one was like ah it's not great <laughs> yeah essentially like sort of pre-ordering a game but like way in advance because i know for me like the idea of a spiritual successor to banjo kazooie sounded pretty good but then reviewers get their hands on the game and like yeah it's not that great when you get the game you're like oh it's uh it sort of made me lose my interest a bit just because it was a bit underwhelming but yeah and they don't have the same like motivation like all motivation the same level of funding like so if Mm. say you know a big video game company took their game out to reviewers or like you know mock reviewers to get feedback they could take make the call hey we're gonna like spend a bit more money and polish this up. Like I think Halo Infinite's a good example where yeah. people were like, this is okay. It's the graphics are a bit not great. And now they're saying, okay, pull it back, let's delay it and finish it off better. You can't do that with a Kickstarter because you're probably already out of money by by the time that you're um at the point where you're giving it to people to try. So you've just got to put it out because otherwise you're not going to deliver on your 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 backer goals and uh, you'll lose everyone's faith completely. Um, so it's a very, yeah, different dynamic of a of a <laughs> buying games than just rocking up the EB and putting your ten dollars down on a pre order, which you can probably get refunded if you if you um, need to if it ends up being a, a piece of crap. Unless uh, they find a publisher that will publish it, and because we see that a lot with a lot of these more bigger games, once. Once the publishers know that there's interest in the game and people are physically putting down their money, then they go, all right, now we'll we'll do it. And then that sort of brings up some arguments with the, the backers as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a complicated space, mm. to say the least. Yeah. Talking about these, I guess, in some cases, rabid fan bases of particular creators and franchises, have you guys ever... Have you guys ever played a game just because uh, you sort of got caught up in an online sort of fan group of people? Just you constantly heard, oh, Final Fantasy <laughs> is fantastic. Oh, you really need to play Banjo Kazooie. Or, oh, this particular creator, he's a genius. Tim Schafer, he's amazing. Like, Brutal Legend is a misunderstood game. You must play it. Have you, have you ever played a game purely because of sort of irrational, sort of hyperbolic? discourse around it of oh this is the best thing ever like you're an idiot if you don't play this <laughs> i don't know if i've had that necessarily i think it's just maybe paying paying uh as close attention as i do to the games industry i think it's just like not so much now but a lot of the times I'll be like oh yeah I'll, I'll give that a go i think 2016 was the the best example of that when there wasn't much uh big nintendo stuff coming out so I got sort of hooked into sort of the discussions on uh, other games. Uh, mainly, I think one of them was Watch Dogs 2. There was uh, Call of Duty. I forgot what it was that year. Call of Duty, um, the modern, one of the modern ones. I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. But I ended up buying a bunch of games. There was Battlefield 
uh, one as well. I bought a bunch of games and I sort of like played two hours of them and went, I don't know why I bought these. So I think that's one of the biggest examples for me. <laughs> I was just sort of like, I got sucked into the holiday blockbusters and the discussion and the hype, but at the end of the day, they weren't really games that I was all that into. So I didn't really enjoy them. Um, but I, I never really fell into a hole and there's like a bunch of Final Fantasy 14 players in there. I'm all right, all right, I'll just play the freaking game. All right, just leave me alone. I've never I've never really done that. Uh, but yeah, I think there was like, there was times when it might've been all the discussion about Uncharted 3. So in my brain that put like the little check mark on it being like, yep, I'll play that when I get my PlayStation or something. But uh, not, not, nothing where I was like con- convinced necessarily. But yeah, what do you think, Zach? Do you have any games you were affected you like that? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely one that sticks out to me a little bit. Uh, I mean, similar to you, these days, if some if I hear a lot of people saying it's good, I want to give it a shot because people say it's good. But uh, definitely in school, and uh, maybe this is where Tam and I diverged in our paths as gamers, um, I tried to play WoW multiple times because everyone I knew played WoW and loved the shit out of it, and I just couldn't get into it. And like other MMOs I've gotten into, like I sunk like, well, 400 something hours into Guild Wars 2, which is probably nothing to some people, but still, um, you know, a lot of time. Uh, so it wasn't that I didn't like MMOs, it was just something about WoW could not hook me. Um, and I tried starting from the start when I think it was Burning Crusade came out. So I started with a, a gnome, what was I, a gnome warlock, I think, or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and then I tried again when uh, Wrath of the Lich King came out, and my friend, um, like leveled me up got a character leveled up to you know the starting level for that expansion so i could just go straight into it and even that i just couldn't just couldn't find the addiction so maybe i was lucked out and <laughs> did had a, a bit more of a, a time to play other things and do other things with my life and then play wow but um yeah i just couldn't couldn't for the life of me get into the hype of that game um no matter how hard i tried yeah i mean i had a lot of games too where a lot of my friends were into it and I sort of like looked over their shoulder and went, right, fair enough. <laughs> I think uh, RuneScape, a lot of my friends went to RuneScape and I didn't really get it, understand it, and I was never interested in it. And even though everyone around me was playing it, I uh, didn't really care about that. And I think that there was this isn't a video game, but the Warhammer series with the figures, all my friends were into that and some even like gave me a couple of um, non-painted ones. So, all right, Drew, take these home, paint them, and you can bring them to school. We can do a campaign and all that together. I'm like, right, I painted them. They'll fun to paint, but I never got into uh, actually playing them. But yeah, so I guess there's a lot of things that I didn't get into, but I don't know if I was actually convinced to uh, really get into something by anyone else. What are you, about you, Brendan? Do you have a, a shame, something that you caved into and... <laughs> Gave into peer pressure. There's two that come to <laughs> mind. Actually, what one is exactly what you just mentioned, Zach. It is where the past diverged. World of Warcraft was one I was convinced into. It was because at the time I was playing a lot of Age of Empires 2 online and the sort of subgroup of people I played with, a lot of them were, it was sort of about 2005, 2006. So a lot of them were getting into WoW and they were always like, oh, Brendan, you need to play WoW. Like, get into World of Warcraft. These were all Americans, so I ended up sort of joining a US server, which is quite odd for an Australian. Generally, we join sort of, well, there's Oceanic servers that Australians are generally on. But anyway, I joined a US server. I got really into World of Warcraft, ended up playing for, oh, I played on and off for about until the end of high school, so about six, seven years. So 
it was quite the journey and it was good times, but I kind of kind of wish I did have those hours back. Kind of wish I did some other things during those sort of early, <laughs> like 2006, Slept, 7, 8, when for example. Sort of, <laughs> it was a height of my addiction. Probably could have had some other fun things to do, but it was a good time. And the second second example would be 2015, I believe. Yeah, in 2015, I got sucked into Star Wars Battlefront because of just due to all the Star Wars hype, Force Awakens and just all just about to come out, came out, and it was just the Star Wars machine really started rolling again. And I'm not a huge fan mm. of first-person shooters. Like, I've played them on and off throughout my life, but not the huge fan of sort of multiplayer competitive first-person shooters. But I got in there. I was playing online. I loved the sound of the blasters. It all sounded authentic Star Wars. Sort of for about two mm. weeks, I thought, oh, this is great. Have no regrets that I went to a midnight launch at EB Games to get these that I paid sort of full price for a PC Ooh. game. Like, this is fun. Then sort of after two weeks, I kind of got to the realisation of, yeah, this is why I don't particularly like Battlefront or Battlefield and Call of Duty games. Like, all those factors came up. I don't... I, I think the perk systems are sort of skewed. I think it very much favours people that put lots of, like, hundreds of hours in compared to people that just sort of pick up and play. And just factors like that that I quickly sort of uninstalled it and never went back to it. So... I think that that's sort of one regret from the last five years I have for buying a game of full price that I probably should have waited until it hit sort of twenty bucks. Yeah, it was definitely one of those those games where it came out. I was like, yeah, it's very authentic and it's very uh, well uh, presented, but uh, yeah, the content wasn't wasn't quite there. But um, yeah, Star Wars hype and being a bit of a, a bit of a fanboy for Star Wars, um, you know, can make you do decisions like that. Just spend your money. It's like, tell you what, I'm going down to EB Games and I'm making a very irrational decision. But here we are, two weeks later, Ben. Mm, whoops. But I think a lot of the time, if if you're a fanboy or something, like you generally don't regret getting it. I know. I know. Like you know, if if you're a PlayStation fan or a Nintendo fan, there's not often where you'd be like, I wish I didn't get this, unless it's in the in the case we we're talking about earlier, where you just buy stuff out of just sheer love for that company. I think that's true. Like even like if you think about your favorite game series and you think about your least favorite game in that franchise, you probably don't don't fully regret playing it or, or buying it because you you at least know that now. You've played that experience, and that's probably an experience you still at least talk about or or bring up um, in conversation. Like you know, like I'm not upset. I have a copy of Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Um, <laughs> I'm still you know I played it. I have a view on it. I actually don't mind it in some regards. I just wish it was called. Cool you know, something else because it's not a banjo game. Um, it's just a, you know, car building game. <laughs> but, I, but I don't regret buying it, you know, um, I w- <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I experienced what, what it was in some yeah. way, weird sort of masochistic way maybe. <laughs> uh, just Yeah, when, when you said that you bought your Xbox 360 because you were expecting Banjo-Kazooie 3, and that's what the trailer sort of alluded to. That is yeah, there was one of the biggest more- teasers of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was dear. I should should have tried. If I was old enough, I should have tried to do a class action lawsuit for like you know <laughs> false advertising or, or something. See if I could have uh, taken Microsoft down a peg. Just waste all your money on lawyers, <laughs> which they'll just absorb, yeah. just like nothing. Yeah, I sort of feel Pretty I sort much. of feel the same way about <laughs> Breath of the Wild. I remember a lot of people bought Wii U's for that when it was announced in uh, 2014. A lot of people are like, oh, yes, Zelda's coming out. So they bought a Wii U. It's like, it got delayed, got delayed. 
but not it was obviously on Wii U still, but it was like the big launch game for the Switch. And if you got enough money to be like, yeah, tell you what, I'm gonna splash out on the Wii U for this game that's coming in the future, you probably just said, you know what, I'm gonna get a Switch because I'm not gonna be stuck playing it on the on the Wii U. So it's kind of not the same thing because it did come to that console, but it would have been pretty frustrating if I bought it just for that. I would imagine. Yeah, I think it, there'd be a lot of uh, if you, if you or, you know bought a Wii U just Breath of the Wild and you didn't even enjoy you know Mario or any of the other games that would have been pretty <laughs> pretty, pretty glum when you found out it was coming to Switch. Um, pretty pretty big waste of money in some regards. Let's hope that doesn't happen for say a Metroid Prime Four or something like that, which is just in constant um, state of <laughs> development. I think it will. If you if you bought it when Prime Four was announced. You're going to get it very late, if anything. Uh, so it probably will happen again. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be similar to the people who bought PS3s for Final Fantasy VII Remake, The Last mm-hmm. Guardian, and uh, Kingdom of Hearts 3. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. That's, yeah that, there was that many games that were sort of expected to come to that console, weren't there? I forgot about that. Because I actually, I think um, one of my friends bought one for Kingdom Hearts 3, <laughs> sort of anticipating it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, oh. Don't know about that. It's because Goofy said it was coming in 2015. He led everyone on, you know. Fucking Goofy. God. <laughs> Bloody Goofy. Can't yeah, trust the vo- that the- dog. Get it together, mate. Yeah. The voice actor for Goofy said, oh, yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3. I've done my line, so it's coming out this year, which was 2015. Uh, did not come out in 2015. Goofy lied. Goofy made a goof. Hashtag Goofy lied. <laughs> If I cared enough um, about that series, maybe I would have started that hashtag. Or maybe I wouldn't have, because that would have been ridiculous. I'm sure we can find somebody out there who started a, a campaign against Goofy because of that. Just got to dig deep enough. <laughs> well, I, at the time, I started a joke Twitter account, and there's a Facebook page as well for the Metroid Prime Federation Defense Force. And I just started tweeting people <laughs> about how, oh, this is going to be the best game ever. It was sort of just ironic, just irony slathered on irony, just trying to see on who I could. Did you really? In rate. Yeah, it's still, it's wow. still out there. The Twitter account's still Damn, up. Damn, I never knew you were such a troll. I never knew you were such a troll under the bridge. Just, uh, <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, because there was, there was so much just uh, blowback on that and. Maybe maybe Metroid fans, that's when sort of the opposite of what uh, companies want. Because a fanboy is a good thing for a company, someone to defend them, someone to buy their products. But if if the fanboy's expectations are not met, that's when you get a, a Metroid Prime Federation Force and you get a company like Next Level Games go, oh, shit, <laughs> what are we going to do? We're not retro studios. We're not working with a GameCube hardware. We've just got the 3DS. What do you want from us? Blast Ball's fun enough. <laughs> Come on. Rocket League's cool. You like shooting balls? Come on. It's all right. Yeah, the when when the fans attack, uh it's a it's a very <laughs> good point. They they can we can turn um or they can turn um quite quickly. You know, it's yeah, it is interesting to see like I mean even this year, you know, like Last of Us 2 fans have absolutely done a or, or Last of Us fans, I should say there's, there's definitely a massive swath to that fan base that's just gone Full three six oh not three sixty that's the that's the wrong full one eighty on that mm. that brand and people sort of now even questioning is is Naughty Dog even a good developer I'm like I don't know I think they are like they've put out you know pretty consistent like ninety plus Metacritic games and generally people like them but um 
all it takes is one sort of controversial i won't even like decision for a game or like to go slightly off what you expect as a fan and people just they just lose, they they feel entitled to the game that they were picturing for years in their head what would be the sequel um which they don't realize is not necessarily what everyone else in the world was picturing um including the developers i suppose yeah like i think um with that game they knew that their decision was going to be very di- uh, divisive and what people wanted from that game was ultimately more of i guess what they got uh, with the first game but moving into the second game it made some choices that fundamentally changed the changed the whole thing and personally i, I actually i quite liked it but i do understand why people could make maybe take a step back and say oh, I, I don't like this game for this decision but if if you're going to say it's a bad game because of uh some story elements i don't think i don't think you can say that it's like a bad game because of that because like the gameplay the graphics uh the voice acting everything's just like phenomenal so yeah it's interesting when people say like oh naughty dog's not a good developer it's like well i don't know how you could even say that game's if at very least it's very good (laughs) even if you don't agree with some of the choices yeah, I think it goes back to the toxic part of fanboyism, which we started this episode with, that particular fans of a series, they have expectations that they think they deserve to be met. And, oh, I read the spoilers of uh, Last of Us 2. I hate the story direction. This is going to be a terrible game. I'm going to go on Metacritic and leave it a zero-star user review, even though that doesn't do anything. I'm going to go on Twitter and constantly tweet abuse at troy baker the naughty dog account and anyone who will listen about how i hate their game and they're terrible developers and they ruined a franchise even though i haven't played the game because it's not what i wanted i guess to add another example and i think we need to continue the trend zach i think we've nearly mentioned it in every episode so (laughs) far but the paper mario series is the prime example of this as well (laughs) where you have a hardcore group of people that never were going to like Paper Mario Origami King because it didn't have an XP system, it didn't have a traditional partner system, it wasn't a a traditional RPG, it wasn't a thousand-year door on steroids, so they were never going to like it. And they made their opinions heard in every avenue they could. They made YouTube videos, they made tweets, they made whatever they could to have their views out there. So I think that's part of fanboyism that, when we were talking about console wars and how that sort of has dissipated as people get older, I think there's this part of the fanboyism phenomenon that hasn't gone away and might never go away, that you have these dedicated group of people that are so passionate about something that if they don't get what they expect, they're going to, I guess, lash out in any way they can. Yeah, I mean, the other massive example is obviously... um been a lot in the last few years i wonder if that's because we're getting worse or better but um like pokemon right like that that's probably a decision they wanted to make for years to like cull the amount of pokemon in a game and they they haven't because they probably knew the backlash was was going to come uh maybe maybe they didn't but I, i can't imagine not a single person at that organization didn't realize people were going to yell mm. and and that, that's one i was caught up in as well that's one that i felt pretty uh strongly about and I think uh, what it comes down for me with um, Pokemon, Pokemon's a series I, I absolutely love and it's a series that I, you know, I am very much a fanboy of. And I think uh, what's what sort of frustrated me, it wasn't necessarily the fact that uh, all the Pokemon weren't going to be in the game. It was 
more or less that they're making a cut and over the first like the last few Pokemon games, there had already been multiple cuts to the games and the quality didn't seem like it was back a few years ago. I think just like an extra cut on top of that uh, was just very frustrating to people. But yeah, there was some very toxic things that came out of that. On on the House of Mario, we, we discussed it and, you know, we were pretty passionate about it and uh, brought it up and we looked at it through like a more critical eye towards Game Freak, but a lot of a lot of people online were, you know, saying awful things about the producers and the pe- Game Freak themselves, and it got way too out of hand. It was very, very sad to see, um, especially for a community of people that you sort of align yourself with. So yeah, that 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 was hard. That was that's one that hit home for me because I was disappointed in maybe a decision that was made, but I was also very disappointed in the reaction to that decision as well. Yeah, that, that's, I 100% agree. Like, yeah, I think we're, we're both pretty passionate Pokemon fans and like what was for a long time, I mean, I, there's always been some toxicity in the fan base, mm. but at the end of the day, I think overall it was a pretty friendly fan base and a yeah. pretty, yeah. you know, inclusive space. Like whenever you go to those Pokemon tournaments, you're getting some of the most diverse range of people I see at any video game tournament. Um, like we had like a yeah. seven or eight year old girl win something this year at, um, yeah. at the at Australian nationals, which was amazing to see. But then, yeah, the, that, you know, the sword and shield drama completely, I think tore that fan base asunder and it, it put people on two ends. Like you were either against game freak or you were for game freak. And it didn't feel like you could be like vocally in the middle where you're like, not happy they cut stuff, but I still enjoy the game because it's Pokemon. <laughs> like, you know, mm. like that was like an opinion just didn't seem people would not tolerate it. It's like, well, no, no, no. <laughs> you either hate the game or you are a game freak, you know, um, you lick their boots or I could probably say if you was going to say something a lot more uh, less PG, <laughs> but uh, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> um, and, and it's really... And I find it annoying. I like. I don't know why we have to be so polar with with our our fan views. We can. There is a middle ground here of like you know, Paper Mario. Do I miss the aspects they've taken away since you know Thousand Year Door? Yes. Is Origami King still a game I'm having a lot of fun with? Also, yes. Like these are two facts that can coincide together, and you can have that view. You don't have to be um, love it or hate it. You can you can kind of be you know level headed, but uh, fans at certain ends just don't seem to be able to to always do that, I suppose. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things about the internet too. Like you only hear from people that have very strong opinions. So if you're rational and you're in the middle, you're not going to have those strong opinions. You're going to be sitting at home. You're going to be enjoying the game being, you know what, this is, this is pretty good. But if you're like, oh, this is great. It's better than anything they've ever done. Everything else sucks. You're like, you'll you'll probably go to Twitter and you'll say that, and vice versa. If you think it sucks, you'll go to Twitter as well. Um, and I think that's what happened with uh, with anything. And it's, it kind of sounds like we're discussing politics. This is sort of moving into politics now, where it's like, if you're real passionate <laughs> about a certain party, you're going to be out there. You're going to be championing them. They're going to be saying why we should vote for them. Um, but if you're like, yeah, oh, there's some good ideas there and some good ideas there, I'll sort of do my research at home and. You know, I'll figure out who I'm going to vote, who who best suits my area. You know, you don't have those two types of people online. And I think it's even in like more serious political topics as well, where I think this year's sort of shown us that if if you have like a level headed 
on 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 your shoulders. Maybe you should be out there and sort of expressing a more sensible uh, opinion out there to sort of put some water on the fire for, for some of these more <laughs> more extreme uh, views that you know ultimately don't get us anywhere because you need the person in the middle to sort of be like, all right, guys, let's uh, let's discuss these ideas. Is Pokemon been taking out the game uh, the worst thing ever? Uh, I don't think it's the worst thing ever, but does it suck? Yeah, it does. Other other areas of the game that were improved because of it? Yeah, they sort of were because with the Pokemon being removed, it's made the metagame stronger than ever. But there's also other things that have not been improved, like you know the, the graphics are still pretty subpar, especially for a billion-dollar franchise. You think they'll put some more effort into that? Not, not what you'd expect from the highest-grossing media franchise of all time. <laughs> To say the least. Yeah, exactly. Like, e- even if uh, most of their sales and that come from their merchandise and Pokemon Go is killing it. So, you know, th- these these main games aren't their biggest uh, revenue drawers for the Pokemon company. But ultimately, these mainline games from Game Freak are the things that uh, sort of set the tone for everything else. So, it would be good to see some more effort going into it. But I think uh, you just need to sort of maybe some fans need to acknowledge the pros, the cons, and work out where they're going to fit. If it's that bad, don't buy it. You don't have to go online and shout because every, every post Pokemon makes now, there's always someone in there who's bringing up the national decks. Like We're past that. You're either enjoying the game or you didn't buy it and you've moved on. Well, it's like when... Um, I don't know if either of you watched the Pokemon Twilight Wings series and there was like one episode where uh, I think a Dugong was in it and there were so many comments being like, Dugong is not in Sword and Shield. This is a false advertising, misrepresenting the game. It's like, guys, like, calm down. Like, Pokemon's more than, like, the games. But to your point, Drew, yeah, it sets the tone, like, for the whole franchise. And now they've, for the next few years at least, they've got a pretty um, pretty average tone, I guess, <laughs> set there for them that they have to sort of deal with, um, which is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And like these days, do you feel you, do you feel either of you to slip back into maybe being a real fanboy about a certain, even just a franchise or anything like that? Because like I I don't think I do. Like I play all the consoles now, so I'm not I I couldn't care less about the sort of war between them all. And like we said, they're all so different. Um, but yeah, when it does come down to maybe some of these, like with Pokemon, I feel like I definitely slipped into that. My first instinct was like, oh, no, Jesus Christ type of thing. But the more you sort of think about it, sit back from the situation, you can sort of work it out a bit more. But that's probably the example for me would be Pokemon. But what about you guys? Yeah, I guess I do kind of slip into that sensation occasionally. It's mainly to do with console launches because I'm the sort of person that since the GameCube, I think I've got every Nintendo console at launch or near launch or practically at launch. Whereas when it comes to take this gener- this coming generation, for example, your PS5 and Xbox Series X, I sort of take the opinion of, oh, it's not worth it at launch. It's not like a Nintendo console. I'll, I'll wait a year or two when there might be a revision or there's enough ga- more games there I want to play to buy it. So I make a much more, I guess, what you could call a rational decision when it comes to those consoles. Whereas if tomorrow Nintendo announced, oh, the Switch 2 is coming out in December, I'd probably go down to EV Games and pre-order it. And I I wouldn't have to be told sort of what games are coming out on it. I wouldn't have to be told, oh, 
it's going to have all these features or it's not going to have any of these features. I'd, my mind would just think, oh, Nintendo, console. Okay, I'm going to go buy it. Let's do it. Yeah. And you know what? I fit into the same category too. Like with the Wii U, I knew Smash and Mario Kart was coming. That's all I needed. Whereas with, um, I think the other two are set up where you're not necessarily knowing what you're going to get, which is a which is a good thing as well. Like if you buy a PlayStation console, I think you, you know that you're going to get quality games, but there's going to be new IPs in there and whether that IP drives with you, you know, it might not, it might. But yeah, I think Nintendo definitely sort of knows, uh, it lets you know what you're going to expect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I, I think same boat in terms of like my own purchasing habits, like my, my fan brain is still switched on 100%. I guess, though, in terms of more, like, fanboyism, um, I think I won't defend the companies that I like for bad decisions as much as I would have as a kid, if that makes sense, um, or try and justify them. Like, you know, a good example is I had a massive surgence of people I know playing Animal Crossing when that came out because it sounds like everybody under the sun bought a copy. And that has a lot of problems, that game. Um, and I think young me would have maybe tried to justify the problems. Current me is happy to, to not only let other people whinge about them, but also whinge myself because, yeah, goddamn, does the online system not work super great? Um, and there's too much text uh, at certain points and things like that. But it doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. And sort of, again, taking that more level-headed approach that, Again, as a kid, uh, you may have thought, or I may have thought, oh, they're insulting the thing that I like. They're insulting me. Um, whereas, like, no, 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 they're insulting a product put out by a you know multi-billion-dollar company. Um, I don't need to defend it. I'm just going to enjoy it for it's what it's worth. And you know, if I don't want to discuss that with these people who hate it, that's fine. I just don't have to talk to them about this video game. Yeah, and I feel like that's how I've gone too. I've the more I love something now, I sort of know where it's coming from. I know that Pokemon's making them money. I know that, you know, Mario's making them a lot of money. So if it comes out, it's like, oh, you know, this wasn't that good. You know, I'll I'll be quite happy to say it. I won't have to try and justify it. I won't have to go to my PlayStation 2 friends and go, oh, no, 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 this is, this is great. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I don't, yeah, I feel like I'm more harder on stuff that I really, really enjoy. I definitely think there is that aspect that we, if we love a series, if we love a franchise, we put it on a pedestal, we want, I find that for when it comes to Fire Emblem games, one of my favourite series, there's a certain level of quality and there's expectations I have going into it, whereas if it doesn't meet those expectations, I'll judge it critically. I I won't say it's a bad game, I'll still generally enjoy it, but I'll say, well, it's not as good as this previous entry in the series and is why and I'll sort of file that away so there's that other element of fanboyism where it's not necessarily the toxicity that this is bad because it's not what I wanted it's more of a reasoned well well it's not exactly what I want but I still enjoyed the heck out of it because it's done all these things but if it had only done these things if it had every Pokemon if it fulfilled all these criteria then it'd be the best thing ever and it didn't quite do that and I'm somewhat disappointed but I'm still going to put a lot of hours into it. Are you also one of those people? Did you actually have like a secret Twitter account like asking <laughs> for the face-pitting minigame for Fire Emblem Fates to be reinstated in the in the Western version? No, I did not. I was about to say, okay. what? <laughs> I was about to say, did you actually? No. no this no, is no, something no, you no. already know, but you just... 
You're- oh, face petting. Zach, we- we've established that you're the weeb here, not me. It is true. I am. I am the weeb. That is fair. I accept that criticism. No, that's fair enough. The weeb gets drawn out of me every now and again too. You know, you, you got to embrace the weeb <laughs> whenever it happens. And if you're a full time weeb, that's fine. You know, it is just gotta live live your best life, as they say. Um, Sugoi, <laughs> kawaii. Oh, I haven't watched anime in a long time. That just made me go, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, as, as soon as we end uh, this podcast, you'll be going up on Anime Central or whatever it is and downloading as much as you can. Let me tell you about this show called One Piece. Oh. <laughs> and there's like 900 something episodes. That's all right. And you should definitely catch up to I'll it. I'll devote my life to I it. I could start a One Piece podcast. I think I'll have to <laughs> to justify that time, surely. Yeah. There'll be that many it's One Piece investment. podcasts. That would just be like, yeah, I'll tell you what. My friend said I had to watch it. So I went and bought a microphone, a brand new computer. And when we're doing a podcast here, because I've got to discuss it, because I have to justify my time. Even uh, maybe live stream it on Twitch, just really get the content out of it. Yeah, episode by episode, do a review. It's perfect, you know. You'll be you'll be making content for years because it's never going to end. <laughs> yeah, unless you cut out the filler, then uh, you might just be there for 50 episodes instead of 900. them fighting words yeah they they were fighting words I used to watch it on um, Cheese TV before like when it was on then because I had had to catch the school bus to school so I like I actually missed Pokemon which devastated me every single day but yeah I got to watch One Piece and I think I think it was like Dragon Ball Z interesting little tidbit I guess not really I, yeah, well, no, I, I think it is interesting because I, I reckon I must have, I think I recorded Pokemon and watched it after school. Now I think about it because you're right. It wasn't that like annoying 8 to 8.30 time slot, mm. which was like, you probably got to leave for school unless you like literally live next to school. Yeah. I had to uh, ask my friends every morning, like, all right, what happened this time? And they'll fill me in, you know, Pikachu battle Team Rocket and then they blast it off and then they save the Oddish. I'm like, wow. That's fantastic stuff. What happened to Brock? Well, Brock made a stew and the whole gang just absolutely loved it. Oh, wow. well, that's fantastic. Uh, do you know if they – can you tell me about the aroma? Like, oh, I can't tell you about the aroma, Drew. It's an anime. can't smell it. Well, fair enough. And I thought about it all day and, and then that just repeated itself. So that's my childhood in a nutshell. Living vicariously through friends. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pokemon Advance. That's what was on when I was there. Uh, Early primary school. That's interesting. I was I was OG Pokemon from from day one, and Advance would have been when like I was one of the few people still like secretly watching it, no, yeah. <laughs> not telling anyone. Yeah. And then after Advance, I I dropped off. Yeah, it was mainly just like the the first Pokemon series I was watching, real early primary school, probably like even before I went to school. Yeah, but when when uh, the Advance series was on TV, I watched that. Because it had Mudkip and Trico and Torchic in it. So now we can get into the real fanboy discussion of which is like the best la- like Ash love interest over over the years, Misty or May Ooh. or is it Dawn? <laughs> you know what? I I had a I actually had a bit of a crush on May when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, so I had, you know a bit of a May bias here. Had a cow called May. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. yeah. So that that's a compliment, I suppose. Oh, like not- naming a cow after her. I mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe don't do that after, like, you know, your your 
fiance or whatever, that would be a bit yeah. concerning. But uh, I love you so much, baby. Uh, I called my <laughs> newborn calf at after you because it grows so quick and becomes huge, just like you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that. Uh, I'm not that silly. Not that silly. Where have we divulged to? What's going on? Uh, weird, weird places. <laughs> So I guess to go back to where we started or somewhere near there, you mentioned uh, one of the reasons you thought of this topic, Drew, is because, well, you host a Nintendo podcast and there's sort of ideas of inherent fanboyism in that. I guess you're not just a Nintendo fan, you're a video game fan. You, As you've mentioned, you very much enjoy Sony games and big fan of Gravity Rush and Sony Japan Studios and developers like that. What made you decide to make a purely Nintendo podcast and not a general video gaming one when you do have an interest in video game topics outside of Nintendo? It it mainly comes down to the point that Nintendo games and uh, the I guess the products that company make are the things that make me passionate about video games. And I think just more on like a logistics standpoint, if you're doing a podcast, there's so many gaming podcasts out there. So it's like nailed down on a niche or a certain format. It's probably like the, like a smart way to go about it. But yeah, it was, it's mainly just because that's where my real passion is. And um, like if I, if I had to do it, that's like a general gaming podcast and like, oh yeah, um, Assassin's Creed uh, got a release date today. And, uh, you know, uh, Call of Duty was teased like, like today, like a Cold War I'd lose interest pretty quick, I think, just uh, doing general stuff. But it's good just to sort of nail down on the stuff that really makes you excited to talk about it each week. Because as you guys will know, like, you know, some weeks you'll be really keen to do the podcast. Other weeks, you know, you've had a big day at work. Uh, your weekend was pretty hectic or whatever. So you're pretty, you're pretty tired and you're not that enthusiastic to come up to the microphone. So you really need something that really drives you to talk about it each week. So that's where it comes down for me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think it's it's time to wrap it up then, I think. Take this train yeah. into the station, Tim. I think both on behalf of Zach and I, I think we have to thank you so much for joining us, Drew. Like I think we've mentioned on previous episodes, you're very much a great help in getting this podcast started. I know I asked you a lot of advice about mics and hosting servers and that sort of thing and uh you've done a great job um filling in the gaps when it comes to those questions and also just helping us promote our podcast so thank you very much and i think tell our audience about your new podcast you've um, recently launched uh house of mario encore i know i listened to the first episode today and it was a fascinating journey through your history as a gamer so i guess what inspired you to start this podcast and where are you what what sort of direction are you going to take it in? um well yeah the house of mario encore i uh, started a brand new uh, nintendo podcast because i i enjoy talking about the news each week and everything but uh i guess bryce and i we had sort of an itch to sort of cover uh, i guess more in-depth top topics as well and also just from a, a standpoint of doing it uh, by myself it's easy just to sort of be able to nail down a time without having to sort of schedule in other times as well but originally we started doing it on Patreon, the House of Mario Encore, because it was like a good way to do a bit of extra Nintendo content uh, to the people that would like to listen to it. 
But then it, it sort of turned into uh, something a bit more like we just, it was just generally really fun to sit down on the microphone and discuss something that you have great memories on or you're really interested in or um, even to the point where if it's something I don't know about, it would be a great excuse just to really learn about it and uh, discuss it in a, in a podcast format. So it's just been something I've been wanting to do for a long time and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to do it each week. So yeah, it's just, just something that uh, can sit beside the House of Mario where the House of Mario, we talk about all the, the latest in gaming and the community and the creators, whereas uh, that we can go into detail on a certain topic that will sort of last forever as well. I'm going to talk about topics that won't necessarily age, pretty much like this show, which is a, I think it's absolutely great that you know people in two years, uh, they might be able to listen to this and I might have said a few things where, you know, Call of Duty uh, Cold War was announced today. And I went, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I remember that game. <laughs> but apart from that, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's content that will you know, stand the test of time. So, yeah. But, yeah, guys, I'll, I just want to thank you for having me on. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Uh, I think it's awesome that people start their own podcast because I've been doing it for you know, three years now and it's just been something in my life that I just really look forward to doing each week. And I hope it does the same for you guys. I hope you, you know, grow with it. You sort of get your confidence in the microphone, um, meet some new people through coming to your content and everything. And and really, Tam, it's just repaying the favor back to you. When we started, we started very much in the same fashion where, you know, we didn't have an audience. We didn't have uh, sort of the knowledge of podcasting. And, you know, you're there from almost day one and you shared us on the Another Castle uh, Facebook page and, giving us feedback and everything. It was just, it was really, really useful and really nice and reassuring. So it's the least, it's the least I could do. So thank you very much, man. And yeah, I think I got all my words out. <laughs> no, thanks so much, Drew. And uh, yes, if anyone wants to listen to Drew's content, search The House of Mario. Excellent podcast. Listen all. Also watch because I saw you now do YouTube as well. It's very exciting. Yeah, I guess I got to think about that too. I'm I'm sort of trying to get my YouTube channel uh, started up. So I'm starting off doing the House of Mario and the House of Mario Encore as video versions. And once um, I get a computer that I can use my capture card and that with, I'll then be doing Let's Plays and sort of working out what my content's going to be. The idea for the rest of this year is figure out what I enjoy, what works, and what my channel is going to look like. Um, then 2021 is going to be the year. Hopefully, like I, you know, I've got my uh, content nailed down a bit more and start really trying to push it. But looking forward to looking forward to doing that. I've been wanting to do video for a long time, even longer than I've doing been doing podcasts for. But I feel like podcasting, just getting into the routine, has been really great for prepping myself for for video. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, it works out to be fun. I'm sure, it will. <laughs> yes. So definitely tune into the House of Mario. Tune into the House of Mario Encore on podcast services or. YouTube and is your YouTube channel still iDruby, I assume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's yeah, just iDruby. So I D R E W B Y. Had to think about the spelling for some reason. Yep, and same on Twitter as well. So definitely give Drew a follow and uh, listen to and watch his content if you haven't encountered before. Can highly recommend it. And uh, as always, if you want to contact uh, Blowing Cartridges, you can do that via Twitter at at blowcartpod. You can do it via email at blowingcartridge at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Tamazoid. And uh, where can people find you, Zach? 
Ah, uh, yeah, you can find me at Egorino, and uh, obviously you can also find us on Facebook, um, where I happily respond on our Facebook page uh, if you leave any comments or messages there. So, yeah, thank you both again for a good episode, and I think, you know, a great first guest and the first episode with a guest, it all went quite well, so. It'll be all up from here, guys, all up from here after me, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> well, I guess before yeah. we go, we should... um. Do a, we can finally do a bit of a teaser, Zach, because for once we actually have an idea of what Ooh. the next episode is going to be, and it it will have another guest, won't it? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. As long as, as long as things don't fall apart, so fingers crossed. But so far, that's the plan. So, I mean, uh, if you're in Australia, you may or may not realize that uh, in a couple of weeks it's going to be Father's Day. Um, and if you don't realize now, you're warning to get your dad a present. Um, you know, so get on it. Um, and we'll be hopefully having one of my mates on who is a um, is a is a dad um, to some some young kids, and we'll be just talking about you know mix of what it's like for him being a dad who is also a passionate gamer, but also just general topics around. We might have a bit of fun talk about favorite dads in video games. <laughs> um, you know, our any memories we have of video gaming with our with our respective um, you know dads as well. So hopefully it'll be a fairly um, fairly lighthearted episode but hopefully there'll be some interesting uh discussion going on so uh yeah hopefully see you all then um, i know it's going to be confusing for our u.s and uh international listeners because it's not father's day i don't think very many other places in the world but we're going to subject you to our uh, timelines here in australia <laughs> yeah sounds good all right as always thanks for listening everyone i've been brendan and i'm egorino or zach and I've been Drew. How do you do?